0: Do another episode of Pod Like a Hole presents a space podity. Uh, in this godforsaken podcast, <laughs> it's been cursed. I think we hit at least. Uh, it's it's turning into thinner. Uh, okay, folks, <laughs> we'll we'll tell you a little backstory after I get to this intro. But uh, this is the David Bowie podcast, the the only David Bowie podcast that should exist. Um, it's three guys in their late 30s uh, talking about one of their icons. So Pod Like a Hole, Space podity if you're now just joining us as we are pretty much like 20 to 23 episodes into this season, we talk about David Bowie's discography in random order uh, by rolling the intrepid Diamond Dice. Uh, on this episode, we landed on Bowie's 23rd studio album released in 2003, Reality. So that's what we'll be discussing this evening. This is your host Mark, and I'm always joined with my fellow co-creators and co-hosts Stephen Earl and Eric Monroe. Boys, how you doing?
1: Great! It's so it's so refreshing to have a conversation um, without the video feed going at the same time. I don't have to look at either of you. You don't have to look at me. Wonderful. Since we last met
2: and recorded an episode together, I've been through a lot. My name now is Jackie Daytona. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a pop culture joke.
0: Google it, friends, yeah. if you if yeah. you don't know who that is. Um, the reason I said Godforsaken, it took us uh, probably about an hour to get this all set up, um, and by the recording, we we're only two minutes and twenty seconds into this recording. Uh, but for whatever reason, the Godforsaken platform that we're choosing to do this remotely. Um, it was like taming a bear. It just couldn't be <laughs> held down. Uh, but thankfully, I think we uh, shuck out the, the kinks and the and the and the blinks and whatever that space yes, engineer was talking about. I've lost the bleeps, I've lost the sweeps, and I've lost the creeps. The what? The what? And the what? You know, the bleeps. The sweeps. And the creeps. <laughs> Um, <laughs> my
2: theory, my theory is that since everybody is being, well, the responsible ones, not the idiots that want to have protests over opening things up is doing everything socially distant that, uh, at, at a certain point, uh, companies, uh, that can't afford zoom are using ringer, which is what we use. So I imagine like, uh, you know, the, uh, TJ max conference calls are all being on ringer and it's, it's maxing out their, uh, their bandwidth.
0: That, that's probably true. I mean, um, the tubes are getting clogged these days if, uh, if you really think about it. All the streaming and the, the video conferencing. And I mean, for God's sake, I, I really think it's ridiculous whenever we have these video conferencing, whether it's through WebEx or Zoom. Um, just the, the, the sheer guilt of always having to be on camera. Um, that's for the birds. If, if you're an employer out there who requires their employees to be on camera, um, you're a tool of the devil. Oh, that's all I'll say. Tool yeah, my, uh, of the uh, devil.
2: My, my company has uh, maybe like 2.5 uh conference calls a week where we all get on. And I say 0. 0.5 because one of them happens sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't. And we've never done video calls before or during this. It seems so unnecessary. So. i'll I'll,
1: I'll offer a slight counterpoint although i i dislike them i have to do mostly video calls uh when i a lot of my you know meetings are legal special education meetings uh where you kind of want to you want the parents to trust you uh you're talking about some really hard shit and they uh sometimes and they need to see your face see your empathetic eyes and it's a legal meeting so you gotta like confirm that everybody in there is is actually who they are so yeah I hear
2: Terrific. you on that well, one. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Have you met every one of these people
1: that you're talking to in real life? The uh, the employees, yes. The parents and the families, no, not necessarily. This will be the first time meeting him. All right. So then, how does enough. that confirm anything? I guess you're right, Steve. I guess you're right. Uh-huh.
2: What I just did is giving you a gift, Eric. Now you can push for non-video calls.
1: Well, I whenever, whenever there's a lot of people, I say, "All right, if you're not talking, turn off your video feed so we can uh, free up the streams a little bit." So. Exactly.
2: You really, you really come in there and you just put your you put your digital dick right in the table, don't man, you, Eric? I got.
1: Listen, man, I got I got a lot of big big dick attitude in my in my new position. Okay. Uh, you, behind you the keyboard, even, you wouldn't even keyboard, recognize sir. me. Yeah.
0: Behind the keyboard, I'm sure you are, Eric. <laughs> 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 oh man. Already off the rails and five minutes in. We're just ranting and <laughs> raving. I'm um, back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's what I bring.
0: That's what I bring.
1: Yeah, I feel like the last episode really just stayed organized the whole time. It was... Anyways. Uh, I know. know. Kind of boring.
0: <laughs> I, it, it did lack, lack the uh, the wild card energy that Steven often brings. That's true. Uh, I didn't berate Eric enough into that episode, so... <laughs>
2: You know, that was the biggest problem. I was talking out loud to my myself and just trying to fill in the gaps there. Exactly.
1: Yeah. I know. after we recorded, I went to bed with a smile on my face. My confidence was great. I uh, yeah, <laughs> my self esteem intact.
3: Yeah,
0: higher than ever. Exactly.
1: <laughs>
2: I did um, want to make one comment. Uh, I guess I could have written a letter, another letter to you, but um, I I did. I, I actually I was ready to fire off a text to Eric when he, when he was comparing uh mid nineties to kids, but then he, then he steered himself in the right direction and said, it really wasn't like kids, but there was about a good 15 seconds where I was going to text him about it. Oh man.
3: <laughs>
2: I do not like, <laughs> I do not like the movie kids. That's why I just, uh, sure. No, it's
1: not good. It's got something to say and it's got a heart. Kids says it has a message, but it's really just exploitative. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I just bet it had like that raw, that raw energy of, uh, of like just kids acting real as fuck kind of that's
2: all yeah no and what you said is true about the idea of our kids doing you know edward 40 hands or whatever the hell they're doing in that movie (laughs) is just terrible especially (laughs) since that's the kind of shit we still do um (laughs) but anyways enough about that uh we're here tonight to talk about the uh mastodon album from 2017 emperor of Sand.
3: I'll fight for this is a fight to the dead.
2: It was, Concentrating on this record was difficult for two reasons. One is that if you don't concentrate on it, it's hard to absorb it. I'll explain more later. And the other is, is that I've just been going down during quarantine. For me, I've latched on to certain bands and they really it's like during these times, you want comfort food at all times. And so if you're like, oh shit, this is really working for me now, you stick with it. And so I had, I had a white stripes phase, a mastodon phase, a Queens of the stone age phase. And just for weeks on end, those would be the only bands I really listened to. So when you have a podcast where you have to do homework, it's difficult, which is why I was not in the last episode. I would have phoned it in that literally and figuratively. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, we, we powered through it. We made sure that, uh, you know, the folks out there heard the final answer in, uh, uh, all things Nine Inch Nails, because that's what we do. We want to make sure that we catch them all um, at all times. Um, it, was a-
2: it was actually it was a good episode. You know what? This is like having a, a voicemail left for you. I uh, 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 pod like a hole. I really enjoyed the Watchmen Ghosts uh, five and six episode. It was very organized and concise. Um, you guys could use a little bit more spice in your lives. And, um, that Eric guy kind of sounds like he, I don't know what's going on at his house, but he needs to focus more, but it was a, it was a great episode, uh, five iTunes stars.
0: Hear that Diane from Detroit. Love it. Give us another chance.
1: Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Diane.
0: (laughs) Uh, we're going to have some real beef. Oh yeah. Should we travel
1: back to 2003 guys? Should we do it?
0: Seems like yesterday, Eric, tell me all about it. True.
1: That's true. We we're tal- talking
2: about we're talking about reality tonight. Have we even mentioned that?
0: Oh no, I think I think right. I did. I did at the oh, top okay. of the uh, yeah. We are talking about Bowie's 23rd uh, studio album released in September of 2003. Uh, Eric, what was the year 2003 like? Right,
1: 2003. Um, you were still living in the shadow of 9/11. Um, a lot of what was happening. In the news with with uh, President. George W. Bush was involving his, uh, military actions, um, kind of in the wake of nine 11. Some of it was the war on terror. Some of it was the war in Iraq. Um, you also started getting a lot of, uh, there's a lot of paranoia around, uh, Patriot act and some of the stuff that Homeland security was doing. Um, of course, New York was still, uh, picking up the pieces. Um, but they were bouncing back, and they were they were they were looking pretty strong in the news. Um, some big things that happened: Saddam Hussein was captured. We um, had the classic George W. Bush standing on the uh, standing on the, the giant uh, cruise cruiser ship with the mission accomplished, stating that all the major action in Iraq was was over, which of course was just a photo op and not true. Uh, locally here in California, uh, Governor Gray Davis was recalled, which I, which upon reading that I suddenly remembered it, and Arnold Schwarzenegger was elected governor. Um, yeah.
0: You, hey, not to interrupt there, but no, you're, you're good. Yeah. Uh, I believe me and you, Eric, we were going to Sac State during this time, and they actually held the uh, gubernatorial debates on campus, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And His entourage showed up because they were going to do the debate. Oh, yeah, you remember that? That's right. We were on campus it, and uh, we were going to watch it, I think, in that round table pizza. Um, that round you table, know, pizza.
2: You, know, you, you guys know what that means is it also on campus was
0: Cruz Bustamante. That's right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, so, it's so funny at the time how we were like, Oh my god, what a Rest circus! Peace, our governor. And now, uh, now we'd kill for him to be president. It'd just right. be amazing.
0: <laughs> you know, I gotta um, admit, like at the time I was rolling my eyes, like who could vote for this man? I didn't vote for him. I'll be honest with you. Um, I mean, not to say that Gray Davis was any shining light of, uh, uh no, a democratic beacon. No, California
1: was in a budget crisis, a huge budget crisis that, uh, that year. Not absolutely. like anything like we're going to be in this year, but he yeah, we it was a huge one.
0: But all things considered, I mean, Schwarzenegger wasn't a bad governor. If you really kind of look at the whole, I mean, he's very moderate in his policy. And, you know, the feud that he has with Trump is, you know, a, a sight yeah. to behold. And, you know, more Republicans like that, please.
1: You know, nine times yeah. out of ten, yeah. when somebody says they're socially, uh, they're socially liberal but fiscally conservative, I have to call BS because you can't really believe in social progress, unless you can, you can fiscally pay for social programs. Sure. But, uh, but Schwarzenegger was a, was maybe a, maybe an exception.
2: Yes. Well, I mean, you see him now with his ponies he lives with. He's a, he's transcended everything. So (laughs) much like, you know, the man, the man, we forgave him to an extent for, I mean, it's not, didn't cheat on us. Uh, Shenanigans with his, uh, maid and having the kid out of wedlock, you know, so it takes a lot to be able to get to, to weather that. Uh, comparably, it reminds me of how Fred Willard jerked off in the theater and got caught and we all just shrugged and said, ah, that's just Fred. Shit. And may he rest in may he yeah. rest in peace.
0: I do remember yeah. that. Good old Fred yeah. Willard, yeah.
1: So did Paul Rubens and he's an American treasure. Listen, that's what those theaters are for, okay? It's true. They only, they... Uh,
2: yeah, rest in peace, Fred Willard and uh, Jerry Stiller this week.
1: That's right man so it's lost a couple uh good uh, good uh OG funny men. uh well speaking of uh, pop culture I guess uh 2003 actually was a pretty good year for pop culture. Not so much uh, music uh, some of our music is we got limp biscuits, chocolate starfish and hot dog flavored water the worst album title probably of all time. I'll take any disagreements on that from you two before I move on. Uh, no, it's a uh, pretty bad.
3: It's and a bad one.
1: It's like they were trying so hard they weren't trying. Right. Um, you know, you had uh, Blink One Eighty Two was still big. Um, you know, Evanescence, Travis, uh, Coldplay. Yeah, we've, talked,
2: we've, we've talked about how I'm, I'm, I'm one of my old buddies is a the bass player for Evanescence, right?
1: Yep, 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 yeah. yeah. It's so weird to me. Right. Anyways. Right. Uh, was Pink, Pink was big. Nora Jones, she's fine. Um Coldplay is one of those bands. I guess they're the most respectable, but I just, I can't even, I can't even listen to Coldplay. I Yeah, I, I won't even get started on them. It's just. They're it's just...
2: very, very boring. They're almost as boring as Sugar
1: Royce. But movies, movies. Well, you had pirates of the caribbean curse of the black pearl that's the first one right guys
0: it's a great one it's a classic it's an all-timer right not
2: as good as part two but you know what are you gonna do
0: that's correct steve that Mm. is correct Mm. Dead man's chest davy jones the whole thing it's it's uh
2: it's a treat for everyone gore verbinski's fun man i you know gore verbinski was supposed to make a
0: bioshock movie he sure was and apparently the script landed on uh, Scott Wampler's desk and he apparently cried when he read it. So, uh, uh, That yeah. doesn't
2: take much to make that guy cry. That's true. Uh,
1: we also got The uh, Matrix Reloaded. Uh, we got Return of the King.
2: Ah, you know, it's a shame. I have not made time to watch the trilogy during this quarantine. I feel like it's prime time. <clears throat> What are you going to do?
1: That would mean that this was the year that Steve and Eric enjoyed some mind-expanding chocolates and uh, traversed across downtown Sacramento after watching the first two extended editions until like three in the morning, slept for five hours, took the mind-expanding chocolates, walked across town, and watched Return of the King. And Eric just cackled with laughter <laughs> the whole movie. <laughs>
2: it, 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 one of the many defining experiences of my friendship with Eric was looking over at him, and like he really thought at the end of that movie, if that if that damn ring didn't go in that volcano, we were really gonna die. Yeah. Was, <laughs> uh, it was, it, like he really was just in fear of uh, oh. you know oh, the, yeah. the the cackling from earlier <laughs> turned into the just sheer terror, for his lip. Yeah, it was oh. bad, man.
1: Oh boy. Uh yeah, and then uh as far as uh oh, we got Bad Boys 2 that year. Bad Boys oh 2. Oh boy. Have you got have you watched Bad Boys for Life yet? Not yet.
0: Not yet. I you know, I I've only seen Bad Boys 2 once and it was on DVD and it was probably in the year 2003. And I remember nothing of that film. So, eventually I'm just going to need to do a quick run through cuz I do have some fond memories of part 1.
2: Oh yeah, they're both good. They're all three of them are good. That second one, Eric and I have discussed this. It's, it's just, it's Michael Bay just to the max. That's uh, bad. Uh, you know, it's socially, so socially tone deaf jokes and uh, a lot of cameras that swirl everywhere and explosions. But it's it's, it's fun.
0: What movie do you like better, uh, by Michael Bay, uh, Bad Boys or The Rock?
1: Ugh. Ugh. Don't make me
2: for
0: choose.
1: Me, Don't, those no, are the those, me, those can... are the only two Michael Bay movies I can even tolerate.
0: Oh yeah, so for me
2: it's easy. It's bad boys. I just I love the the Lawrence uh, Smith
0: chemistry. That's a, it, it. You're right. I mean it's solid. Uh, but you know Nicholas Cage just you know swinging for the fences with Sean Connery, you know, just doing yeah. his own thing. It's <laughs> right. And, and, and Ed,
1: Harris, Ed, Ed Harris is like gang of terrorists. Each one of them is a notable actor, and they're all just we are respectable terrorists. We are American hero terrorists. Like there's it's like, they're really trying to make you feel that conflicted, conflicted feeling for each one of us. Oh, yeah. that flag ripples behind them as they have to do this awful deed.
3: Oh yeah. Anyways. Well, I'll tell you,
1: I'll tell you this much. When I think about late,
2: late career, Sean Connery. And I think of his movies, nothing beats
0: entrapment with Catherine Zeta Jones. <laughs> Finding Forrester. Yeah, A movie I've (laughs) never watched. Um, uh, And then, of course, who could forget The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Right. Right. I think that's the Uh, movie that he walked out the door with, right? Like, I don't think he made a movie after that.
1: Yep. Tipped his hat and said, that's all I wrote uh tv so uh hbo was um height of its powers as far as uh premium television content sopranos was going strong oh yeah um show i like debuted this year carnival um short-lived show but uh it's really uh up my alley um we also had uh you know it's garbage like two and a half men um also kind of garbage that i enjoy (laughs) the oc debuted this year uh I'm not going to make that I'm not going to try to make 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 that show sound good, but uh there there's aspects that uh, appeal to the nerd inside me. Uh did you, guys, did, you,
2: did you did you guys see that uh Christopher has a uh, him and him, him, and the guy that played uh, Janice's second husband have a podcast watching all the sopranos.
1: That's going to be great. It is great. Uh, we also got Arrest Development debuting this year. Um, I remember I checked it out because I think I've, w- I would go to Bob and all the time and, and I knew David was on it and then Bob said he was going to be in an episode in season one. And, uh, I recorded like I recorded an episode on my VHS recorder. I still had it plugged into our TV and, uh, and I knew I loved it and I bought the DVDs and, um, still a, a favorite show of mine. Um, questionable content in the later seasons, but, uh, but, uh, not unwatchable. I kind of enjoy it more the more I watch it. So
2: that was, that was definitely, uh,
1: appointment viewing in our, our apartment at the time. Absolutely. Uh, and then, uh, Comedy Central gave us a couple gems like, uh, Chappelle Show and Reno 911 this year. So both, both, both ones. I know we're all, we're all fans. Yes, uh, Officer, Dang- Officer Dangle is uh, uh, one of the greats. Yes. And uh, that is 2003 in pop culture. That is what the palette looked like that Bowie was going to paint his new masterpiece upon.
2: Yes, but every morning he'd wake up and while his eggs and toast were hitting that palette, he'd look at the sports page. Oh, and
3: God it <laughs> what?
2: What's going on in sports? In the world of 2003, the world of David Bowie, where he watched the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat the Oakland Raiders 48 to 21 in Super Bowl 37. What a beat down. The Raiders have never recovered. <laughs> and over in baseball, Sammy Sosa hit his 500th career home run off of Scott Sullivan, becoming only the 18th player in Major League Base- Baseball to hit 500 or more home runs. Remember that? Remember that, Mark? Remember Sammy Sosa? I do
0: remember Sammy Sosa. He's not looking so good these days. No, (laughs) I don't
2: know what's happening there. There,
1: There's a whole episode of uh, was it Atlanta where they make they they make fun of that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, in the, uh, the World Series, the Florida Marlins. The Florida Marlins beat the Yankees. The Florida Marlins are one of the most boring baseball teams in the history of the sport. I do not like the Marlins. They uh, have bad colors and a bad baseball park. It's a. Uh, I don't like those indoor fields when you when you watch or listen to a game. Everything has a weird echo to it. I don't like it. It's not good.
0: Oh yeah, I know it. And that that crazy sculpture out in center field. It was wild.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it flashes lights and shit. Somebody hits a home run. Oh yeah. I'm a, I'm a fan though of uh things that happen when home runs are hit if it's done the right way like the Brewers uh, who's
0: got the uh, the Brewers guy goes down the slide every time a home run happens <laughs> yeah <laughs> who's got the foghorn I think
2: the Astros have the
0: foghorn um, about that the Astros have a train that starts rolling no, that's right uh yeah. the foghorn so, is the Giants foghorn foghorn's the Giants oh yeah
2: okay that, that makes sense right there in the Bay and uh, the Spurs beat the Nets in the NBA finals. I'm a big Spurs fan. They're one of my uh ancillary teams that I that I cheer for. Oh, is that right? Because the Sacramento, Yes. Uh consistent. And what I like about them is that they've been good for so long that back when the Kings were good over a decade ago, like I'd be like, oh the goddamn Spurs got us again. And then as the Kings became terrible for over a decade, the Spurs have continued to be good. And uh it's just you gotta respect it. Continued Excellent. I got two
0: follow-up questions. You ready? Number one: Yes. Have you started watching The Last Dance yet? No, I have not. You should do that. It's a good. It's a good time. Number two: Most hated NBA team of all time for you? Hmm. No, has to be the the Lakers
3: of
2: the of the uh, Kobe Shaq era, because they're they're what stood in the way of the Kings ever winning anything. Sure. So that's. A, And not not the Lakers now. I mean, I think it's kind of like grudge, like rivalries that last for years after one team excels and the other team like just flounders. It's almost sad, you know. It's like they they don't even think about you anymore. So it's not a rivalry. Yeah, but uh, if I if I transport my mind back to the early Ots, it's definitely those early Ots Lakers.
0: Yeah, they were tough, man. Damn them, they were tough. Two thousand and six, I want to say, was when the Kings got fucked.
2: No, they got fucked a couple of times but two thousand two was the real two thousand and
0: two yes
2: yes yeah, that's,
0: that's when they got the closest and that didn't work out yep well all right Eric. between eric audibly sighing all throughout the segment <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh yeah, this this reminds me we had some uh some great back and forth on um on Facebook uh, uh where um a uh Our show was actually shared somewhere and uh Chris Reed, a longtime listener, and he also runs the Nin Shirts Instagram account. Um, you know, mentioned it's a great show except for the sports talk. Um, you know, and I yeah, and I, you know, hey, you gotta take got to you gotta take your medicine, you know, I guess, right?
2: No, I I understand. I mean, I've read multiple I've read multiple reviews (laughs) to say it's a great show except for the host named Eric. So
1: Uh, no. You gotta
2: you can't have it all.
1: Yeah. Uh, that being said, this is, is reminding me to do a shout out to the Smashing Pumpcast, a uh, a great little podcast uh, about an album by album review of like, like ours, but for Smashing Pumpkins, um, where they shouted out our show recently. Um, much appreciated as being in the upper echelon of music podcasts. Well, that's I'll take fun. that to the bank.
3: Yeah,
2: I found one. Uh, and yes, I appreciate that shout out. And we shout them back out. And also I appreciate anyone that wants to take on that endeavor. That is
0: a tough one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was just going to say there's some dragons in that map, I'll tell you.
2: Yeah. <sighs> but you know it, but the good thing is though is that you'd have a lot of ancillary uh discussions about how just Uncle Billy's mind started to go places as he gets older. So that would be fun. Um right. I I did I cannot remember the name of it to save my life. I think it's something along the lines of uh, my favorite album ever. Uh, it's a, it's another music podcast. And this one gets famous people to talk about their favorite albums. I don't know if they go track by track. I haven't listened to it yet, but I do know the guy got Bob Odenkirk on there and it didn't surprise me to read that the topic of that album was a replacements album. And he, I'm like, Oh yeah, of course he's a replacements fan. So. That'd
0: have been great nice. if it was Bob Skags. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, Really quick, obviously, I was telling you guys I I, I got a ticket to that Mr. Show oh. Zoom discussion, but they ended with their unveiling of their uh, of their celebrity sing along during coronavirus. Did you guys watch it? What that was? I have not it watched eat it. it. But I
2: know what you t- I know what it is. Yeah,
1: they did eat it, and it was it was I as much as I could not be interested in any celebrity sing along for quarantine. The eat it choice and how they are all very passionate about singing eat it. Was
2: All right, so that's 2003. What was David Bowie doing? Yeah, i tell you what he's doing. He pulled the same thing he pulled with Tonight. He, uh, he He's coming off Heathen. He had the hot hand. Everybody was like, oh, my God, this is the best. Legitimately, finally, when we say this is probably the best David Bowie album and since Scary Monsters, we might be telling the truth. And uh, he's like, oh, fuck, I'm going to start recording another record before this one's even done. And so uh, he, he knocked this one out right after Heathen like that.
1: correct that's correct yeah he um he and tony viscani um you wanted to strike while the iron was still hot and they went to philip glass's looking glass studio in nyc and um a lot of it was done with a bunch of back and forths on pro tools um which uh keen-eared production heads could notice maybe is why the production quality is a little bland on this bad boy makes Um, sense And uh, after they did their piece and got some of the other musicians in, they sent it all to Mike Garson to lay his uh, twinkling touches over a few tracks. And, uh, you know, before
2: before you move on, Eric, before you move on in regards to the Pro Tool production thing, that was actually a uh, heated back and forth between Visconti and Bowie. The the Visconti was saying, David, we just did something great. Yes, we got to keep going, but not at the expense of the sound quality. And of course david bowie's coming at him with this like you know omicron the nomad soul bullshit, where he really wants to just use technology at all costs so that was always kind of a problem david bowie he got in the bowie net you know he just before things were really fleshed out he would try to put a stamp on them and so he wanted to move so fast that it might have been at the expense of the production and uh, i've got a tape right here it's actually about another topic i want to talk about i got this tape because i tried to set up an interview with the guy that did the cover artwork for this album and uh, that fell through because he's a lunatic and he said listen I, I don't got time to talk to you about this artwork I made but here's a tape of a conversation between Tony Visconti and David Bowie discussing production value so let's listen to this a
3: devil in the marketplace The devil in the
1: The, uh, Pro Tools files all set up. Uh, every, all the instruments are plugged in. I'm starting to think about sequencing. And Mark Plotty is driving me crazy! Dave, hey, listen to me. Are you, you hear a word I'm saying? What are you doing over there click-clacking with your video games again?
2: I'm sorry, Tony. I didn't hear you come in. What,
1: what are you doing here? Dave, you he told me to come by and pick you up. We gotta go, we gotta go to the studio, man. We're working on the new album. We are, we gotta strike while the iron is hot! I tell you, Heathen is still blowing up the charts. We got our music cred back. I mean, the, the, these, like, indie rock heads and uh, these uh, these uh, Pitchfork reviewers, they love us again. They love us, baby. We're back.
2: I, I understand. Yes, it's, you know, it, uh, the get out there and get it. Well, the getting's good. But at the same time, Tony, I've discovered something much more interesting than uh, making another record. I've found a way... I can control reality.
1: Interesting. Uh, I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, hey, you're a big pop star. You you drop a rock in a bucket, the whole world's going to scream. Okay? Yeah, yeah, you can control reality with your music, baby. That's what we're doing in the car. Let's go. Let's hop in my Trans Am.
2: No, no, Tony. What more are we doing on a record than uh, a copy of a copy? What I have found is a way to simulate life, and many others have as well. Tony, have you ever heard of the Sims?
1: The Sims. No, no I mean,, uh, you know, hey, listen, if I, if I'm out and I'm out on the town with a lady and she wants to smoke some Virginia Sims, I might partake. <laughs> what's, what's the Sims?
2: Very, very funny there.
1: So, uh, you know, it is a it is a
2: continuation of the Sin City. I apologize, Sim City. I know you know all about Sin City. No, Tony, Sim City. S I M. Sim City. From the nineties, it was a PC game, also on your Macintoshes as well as the Super Nintendo. Anyhow, in Sim City, you could build the city, essentially playing God. Not quite like the game Actraiser, where you actually were God. But in Sim City, you could build a city, control the city. It was a great thing. Anyhow, uh, times have changed, technology, such things as Omicron, the Nomad Soul, have happened and have you know turned the game on its head. Now we have something called the sims and in the sims i have a little person i take that person it's quite like a talking head song i put them in their house i control them i send them to work i send them home i send them to the poker games i make them fall in love and uh, oh. yes i can i put a little a little diamond like a diamond dog a little diamond above their head and i can make two people get it on Oh, is
1: that what's about to happen on the screen there? I like what I'm seeing. It's, uh, look at that person <laughs> and that person in a hot tub. Those diamonds are, are, are gleaming in the night sky. Uh, a little romance. Uh, Interesting. Uh, I, cool.
2: calm, calm down, Tony. I knew that's what you would latch on to. Oh, and I know <laughs> things have been uh, difficult between you and uh, Michelle lately. So, uh, you know, I, uh, I don't know if this game is a, a welcome portal to you to have a happier life. You are kind of a miserable man. Maybe the Sims would be an outlet for you, Tony. Tony here, try.
1: Right, you're telling me if I just put a diamond over my head here, uh, she'll walk on over and take me to the Great Gazoo. <laughs> I'll give it. I'll give anything a try once.
2: That's that's exactly what will happen. Here, try. Sit down. Sit right, here. All right,
1: all right. So I'm gonna click here, and as I'm doing this, what what does this have to do with the new album? I mean, really?
2: Well, Tony, I mean, you're looking at the screen. And you're, there's a life inside the screen that you are controlling there. And I would say it has as much weight as how we're being controlled out here. So mm-hmm. on what side of the screen are we, Tony? I mean, mm-hmm. truly it reminds me, do you you remember our friend David Lynch? Have you talked to David recently?
1: Mm-mm. Nope.
2: Nope. It, <sighs> it, it does not take much to, you know, what... It, David is very forgiving, but he still has a problem with what you did to that uh, artwork, Didn't doesn't he? <laughs>
1: hey, you know what? He invites us, he gives us a few drinks, and then he puts up a, a potato with a corkscrew through it, and, and, and that's art. I mean, <laughs> listen, I was going to have fun with it. What can I say? Oh, look at that. Look, she's in a bikini. Look at that. <laughs> oh,
3: okay, go on. Hold,
2: Sorry. hold on, hold on. So, so uh, Tony, have you
1: – how many people
2: are – Tony, are you making a key party in The Sims game? I didn't know that was possible.
3: It
1: only took me about 30 seconds on this, but I've invited your whole neighborhood over in this game. This is great. I I, I see what you're saying. Go on about the whole reality thing. Yeah, yeah.
2: My my goodness. So you've got the whole neighborhood over here, and you're trying to simulate an orgy again. It's probably going to be as asexual as it is whenever you've tried to pull that off in real life, even in Switzerland. Uh, and now uh, th- this is it, Tony. You see, you've what is reality, really? I mean, honestly, you've just messed up my computer game the same way you've messed up my entire life in less than uh, two minutes.
1: Oh I'm- come on, that's a that's an exaggeration, baby. We're we're hit makers, so why don't you head to the studio? I'll uh I'll just finish up in here. Amon's not home, is she? I can take my pants off.
2: Uh, hands hands above the desk, Tony. Both of them, at all time. <laughs>
1: Yes, yeah, sir. All right. Yeah. Hey, take the Trans Am. Uh, the studio is waiting for you. And wait, right. tell that Mark Plotty, I am going to dub over all of his bass lines. I don't care if he played on the D-Light album. We don't eat that funky shit on this. That's not what we're making. You tell him that. I'm going to do it.
2: I'm giving you 30 seconds alone and Omicron is watching you this entire time. Goodbye.
1: They really recorded everything, didn't they? Jeez. Yeah, they did. That's that's it's totally like fucking Richard, end. like Richard Nixon in there. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So
2: sorry. So, sorry to cut you off there, but you brought no, up the production. value, yeah. and That's exactly. I mean, that was a very big point of contention. I'm surprised they worked together after that.
1: I'm um, I actually think it's pretty transparent why that artist um, did not do uh, Agree to your interview and sent you that tape as a distraction instead because you would have probably asked him some pretty scathing questions about what the fuck he was thinking with that. fucking artwork. Yeah, old old Jonathan Barnbrook,
2: yeah, that guy, oh. motherfucker. yeah, nice. You know, I should have known when uh he had a uh a, a GeoCities uh website still up, it was gonna be trouble. Uh, we'll, we'll get back to that though. Well, well the, the, so the album. Them. Them
1: the album's called reality because it's Bowie's kind of say like, there is no reality anymore. Um, And that's why like for the cover, they had like Bowie as an anime character or like a online avatar because internet and internet culture, reality TV, it's clouded what we know as reality to be. And that was, I'd rather, I'd
2: rather it's my least favorite David Bowie cover. Hands down. Yeah. I I think it's so bad that it actually takes away from the the quality of the record. (laughs) It's just, it's so bad. And uh, I'd rather have the uh, the man who sold the world original album artwork. The, I think that's more professional than this. What do you guys think of the reality artwork? Oh boy, it's
0: it's rough, man. When I first uh, when I first caught wind of it, I was just like stunned because you know <laughs> this man has come out with some iconic album covers, um, and then it's just something that was put together in clip art, and it was just <laughs> not great. Uh, I mean, well,
1: I'll talk about this again when we talk about our initial reactions, but uh, we were all still working at the record store at this time. And I remember when we got the big promotional posters to put up and um, everybody was really excited for it because of Heathen. And as soon as we saw that, I remember just thinking, really, that's (laughs) what we're going with on this one. So this
2: this was when Eric and I were both at Arden, I think.
1: Yes, because I remember we unboxed the album when it dropped and spun it while we were working and um and uh it just didn't yeah definitely didn't knock my socks off on first listen <laughs> <laughs> so uh often in interviews he uh Bowie would say and sometimes um he would he would almost have like a regrettable tone to it he would talk about this album as it it was really a hodgepodge of just immediate ideas he wanted to put out songs that he thought would be fun to play live um obviously like he like put himself on it like wearing a guitar for a lot of the promotional stuff for this album. I mean, he wanted to present himself as like a, as like a front man for a rock band for this, for this uh, album. I see it that my notes will back up what you're saying. Yeah. Right. And, uh, um, but he did say it's a hodgepodge. It's not like heathen that has like a thematic through line. Like you can, it's not that it's telling heathens telling a story, but there is a, there is structure to that album. This one's like a, you know, a handful of new songs, a lot of it reacting to um 9/11 in New York City after 9/11 and then like um some covers that he had planned for Pin-Ups 2 that never happened. The the people on this record was David Bowie on everything,
2: everything except shit, he even played the drums on this one. Um Gary Leonard on guitar. Have we had Gary Leonard, or is it Jerry Leonard? It's Jerry. Have we had him on this uh podcast before. No, I don't think so. I mean, his music. No, this is yeah. Okay. Not- Earl Slick guitar David Torn guitar it seemed like a new name to me too or maybe he was on heathen. Uh, Mark Piatti on bass guitar sometimes. Uh, uh, old uh, I was reading through uh, notes on this record and Tony Visconti played a lot of uh, like demo bass parts to get song structures down and for whatever reason he just left them in a lot and they kind of Billy Corrigan into this Mark Piotti guy to an extent. Um, he's still got a credit on the album he's still on some songs but they intended him to be on some songs that Tony Visconti just said nah, we'll just keep my bass lines So, Sterling Campbell on drums uh, friend of the show Mike Garson on piano Gail Ann Dorsey on backing vocals but not bass and Catherine Russell on backing vocals uh, Tony V's on here guitar, keyboards, bass, guitar, backing vocals Matt Chamberlain drums on Bring Me the Disco King and Fly mario mcnulty mario mcnulty also <laughs> plays percussion on fall dogs bomb the moon and uh wow. hero of the show carlos Alomar plays guitar in one song fly
0: Which isn't, isn't even gotcha. on the record it's a b-side uh yeah that's
1: true that's true uh yeah so and we'll talk about this at the end um they toured heavily for this album um so much so it almost killed david bowie and uh and a lot of people thought this was going to be the last album that he would ever put out. And it seemed that way for a while. It seemed that way for uh, 10 more years. Um, and uh, you can talk about how it was received, but I feel like, myself included, it would have been sad if he went out with this album. But um, how, how was the reception for this bad boy?
0: So the critical reception actually uh, wasn't as harsh as we kind of tend to think it would be. Because uh, in kind of retrospect, this is not seen as one of his more solid records. Um, Entertainment Weekly did give it an average rating of about a, a C plus. Uh, the Guardian though did give it four out of five. Uh, Pitchfork, you know, gave it a seven point three out of ten, which is you know pretty high for Pitchfork, especially if you think about during this era of Pitchfork where they even hated The Fragile by Nine Inch Nails. Sure,
1: but they would have given Pink's new album a ten
0: out of ten. You bet, you bet. It's
1: Eric is still pissed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rolling Stone uh, gave it a three and a half out of five. Um, Uncut gave it a four out of five. USA Today gave it a four out of five or three out of four. Excuse me. Uh, the BBC, though, they can't help themselves. Uh, they were pretty, um, pretty high on this whole thing, and they pulled out that old chestnut of. This is the best album he's done since Scary Monsters. Um, Get and- the fuck oh, out
1: of here! Get out of here! <laughs>
0: swear to God, they they name checked that this album and Earthling is Bowie's best album since Scary Monsters. So, well, wow. I do know.
2: Yeah. yeah, I also read a review that said uh, that said it's like the quality of Scary Monsters without the paranoia. And I said, what? No, not at all. Yep, it's not, I don't even see how you're saying such a thing. Uh,
0: yeah. And uh yeah.
2: one thing I did notice uh between now Mike Garson was
0: on Heathen, wasn't he? Was he on Heathen? Oof, he um I don't think so. I'm trying to remember any cats on piano no, than that one. And yeah, I just don't, I don't think, think so. I
1: don't think they utilized him on that so one. So what I found
2: what I found interesting is that this actually uh, upon studying it really remind now I like the album I think better than you guys, but I do think it's kind of the same Cadence of having a uh, Aladdin sane after a Ziggy Stardust. Ooh. Very similar, similar band, similar tone, but you add Mike Garson to it. <laughs> it's uh, it, it, it's kind of the same thing from Heathen to this. I mean, you know, I could, I might. could,
1: I could see that. Um, my initial reaction to it was um, when I heard it when it first came out was uh, that kind of the rough, almost lo-fi indie quality to Heathen immediately is gone and it's got this like layer of shimmer and um and gloss to the production quality um which is like nails on a chalkboard to uh to me you know hey i'm you know (laughs) good production fuck you (laughs) that's right uh, but, but uh but i do think it suffers i i thought at the time that it suffered from lack of personality and while the songwriting may or may not have been have been great, there were aspects to just the overall sound um, that I never came back to this one very often. Uh, that being said, as we'll talk about, there were some high points for me and some songs that will make it on my on my you know top 100 Bowie songs. But um, yeah, anyways.
2: Yeah, actually, I still don't know how I feel about this album. Maybe by the end of the conversation, we will. Um, yeah, I think when it first came out, a lot of us were just high and having more David Bowie. And um, it seemed to be comparable to Heathen upon at the time. Uh, when you look with hindsight, they are similar, but quite different. Um, it sounds like B-Sides to Heathen.
0: <sighs> yeah, Ooh. it sounds a little more upbeat than Heathen. Um, Heathen, although had some like high points where, you know, there certainly was some. Everyone says it, hi. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah, but we, I got, feel... we got
1: that for a whole album
0: dip yep. Thanks, <laughs> yeah. Eric. That's exactly where I was going. Perfect. <laughs> oh
1: shit! I'm sorry, Mark. I'm sorry. Hey, no, I, man. It see, was like Steve already dope. made fun of me today for for stealing the words out of your mouth. I you, you set it up, I knocked it down.
0: Yep, yeah. I just passed the ball to you, and you just dunked it. So, hey, man, still a point. Three, two, one.
1: Hello, holers. Are you a 39 to 65 year old listener? Do you want to capture the energy of youth but still maintain the prickish disdain and stubborn wisdom of an elder? Well, we have just the Patreon level for you. For $15 a month, we will go to your home and transform you into a rockin' rolled man. Or woman. That's right. Steve will barge into your room and rip the sleeves off your shirts and frost your tips. Mark will teach you meditation moves that will give you the sexual energy your body can't handle anymore. And Eric will teach you sick kickflips and guitar licks. That's right. For the Patreon level of $15 a month, we will pot-eye the old guys. That's right. Let me just say, when we are done with you, your neighbors will be looking at you in a whole new way.
3: Oh, hello.
1: That's right. $15 (laughs) Patreon dollars a month. (laughs) or you could just throw us a few bones and say thanks or you could just wait till the corona lockdown is over and we're all a lot more financially secure and consider it then either way all of our shit will remain free oh yeah all right
2: track by track new killer star nuclear star new killer star (laughs) New Killer Star. Heck of a song. If you guys don't mind, I'm going to go listen to Blur now because that's what uh, the song wishes it was.
0: You're 100% right. It's got a little bit of coffee and TV on it, doesn't it? reminds me like i'm just like i'm gonna go listen to blur now yeah but uh what what do you guys think about this track so i like it i think it's a good little opening riff um it's got a uh it has kind of almost like this middle eastern kind of feel to it with kind of that glitchy guitar sound um yeah corner shop (laughs) oh my god that's right brimful of asha Um, so
1: (laughs) everybody needs a bosom for a pillow.
0: (laughs) Good Lord.
2: That reminds me. So my, uh, uh, my four-year-old is insane right now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm working at home with him every day. And if, if I'm able to get three hours away from him, I can get more done in those three hours than I can in 13 with him around. But, uh, he's developed quite a bit during the pandemic. And I think it's just because he's around me hearing things all the time that I say. Anyhow, I don't know where he heard this, but, and there's a point here to what Eric just said. Today, he went up to my wife and just said,
0: can I just see one of your boobies? Wow. <laughs> he definitely got that from his old man. <laughs>
1: oh, boy. He walked in on uh, on daddy screen time. Late night daddy screen. Time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, who knows where that's going to go. Anyhow, continue, Mark. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: it's, I was like, it, it, "How do you follow? How no, do you I follow?" No, I mean, if that? you're tying this into this song, I was just gonna say, "Well done." Um, <laughs> so, nuclear star, new killer star. Uh, it it certainly is a good album opener. Um, it's probably one of the more memorable songs off of this record, uh, for me at least that I can say, uh, reality in this song generally will come to mind. Um, the video for it is, uh, kind of dizzying. It has like kind of a lenticular postcard. Um, Bowie's not in it and it just has all of these, uh, kind of images of like a a new, like America Americana, you know, right. Um, in terms of what the song,
2: yeah, they're kind of they're kind of they're kind of they're kind of moving back and forth to the it's rhythm. It's like music. yeah, one
0: of those like lenticular things that you would get like maybe in front of like an album cover where if you move it from side to side, it, like the lady will start dancing. Um, so the whole video is that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: I'm not I'm not a big fan of that video. It's almost as bad. It's not as bad as the album cover. But yeah, Look, when there. you
1: turn the pen upside down,
3: yeah. Yeah. her dress turns I get away, ready, I get
2: that would have been a better video.
0: You know, I, I think that ah. might be the only video off of this album, isn't it? Um but anyways, that's neither here nor there. I'm just saying it's it's I i do like this song, it's a good opening track, um, but it's not a very strong song when all things considered, if you look at David Bowie's complete output, it's just kind of like a pretty harmless rock song that does call to attention some of the influences of the time. Uh, Eric, what do you, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I, it's a good opener. Um, it does. This is the song that slapped me in the face kind of initially. Um, I think I appreciate it more now than I did at the time, just how slick, slick the production is. Um, it just feels, it feels kind of paper thin. Um, but there's something that he does on this song. He does on a few songs on here. Um, He's singing really well. In fact, his vocal melodies, um, uh, even Tony would 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 talk about in interviews that um, Bowie quit smoking right before they recorded this, and he started he started to gain some of his um, range back that he had lost. Like even though we love Heathen, he Bowie kind of knows his limits on that, so he's kind of going for more on this album and um, this song and a couple others. I'll talk about. If you just listen to his vocals um I don't know they kind of hook you and they and they and they take you like all of the the from the verse to the chorus to the little bridges it's um it's a ride that is and he does a great job uh singing it The song itself is uh is is definitely like what I was talking about before it's that feeling of paranoia of fear but also hopefulness that was happening in New York uh just a couple years after 9/11 this came out almost two years to the day of 9-11 and, and for that matter, two years of the day of heathen. Um, and it's like basically fear, but then optimism. Uh, you've got, you've got lyrics like, um, you know, like, uh, Oh, my nuclear baby, my idiot trance, let's face the music and dance. Just kind of like, you kind of have to get over it, be around your neighbors. Um, I've ne- I'll never say I'm better. I'm better. I'm better than you. Um, there's something in there about, you know, about equality like there was, especially in New York, there was a lot of like anti uh, or like, you know, uh, kind of hate crimes against uh, people from, you know, Middle Eastern countries uh, or descents that. Obviously had nothing to do with terrorism, there was a lot of that going on around the country, but especially in New York. So I think that's probably a call out to that, which, you know, is is nice. Um, and. Uh, Yeah, it's just, uh, I think this new killer star is this, this black star, this, this kind of uh, celestial uh, snowball of, of fear and paranoia that's, that's coming and you can either uh, submit to it or you can get out there and embrace your neighbors. And that's, that's kind of what the song is about. It's interesting. It's good lyrical content uh it's got a great melody to it um but there's just something up in the in the production and, and of the song that just kind of uh, it could be it could be a little bit more it doesn't have a lot of oomph to it if that makes sense but i like it steven yep i think it's a pretty good opener uh that
2: that dana na da-na, da da-na, That, 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 that coffee and TV riff gets stuck in your head. It's,
1: it's, yeah, it's, it's not the first time that he's, or or he's, he's, he's aligned himself with Blur a few times in his history. And I love it every time, every time he does it, it usually ends up in pretty great results or they, and they've borrowed, they've borrowed from him as well. Um, and definitely,
2: if you're going to, you know, if you're going to, you know, Blur, Blur is a great band. Um, I think it's a fun song. It's a good opener. I like the ready set go. I, I like that, uh, little vocal uh flourish there like eric said i mean yeah his voice is a little better on this album i think he does a couple of fun vocal tricks that we'll talk about um it's a good opening track i think it's probably the best song to open the album on this batch of songs so they
0: made a good choice um one thing i wanted to mention uh that we didn't really talk about was in my research um, nicholas Pegg, who's uh you know biographer of bowie's work um, he noted that a lot of, or some of this song was lifted from uh, the song 87 and Cry uh, from Never Let Me Down. And from the melodies, the chorus hooks, and uh, one of the notations was is that you start to realize how much the quote-unquote disgraced Never Let Me Down is resurfacing on this album. And one thing in particular that I wanted to call out, we did talk about it when we did cover Never Let Me Down, that Mario J. McNulty... Um, He did, he was the guy that re engineered Never Let Me Down um, to make it something a little bit more palatable. Uh. So I'm wondering if that kind of through line uh, was something kind of intentional. He was working on this one and, you know, Bo is kind of bringing back some of the the ideas from that record. And he said, you know what, maybe what if if we like brought this album back to some sort of respectability? Um, It's just something. He
2: couldn't have worked on. He didn't. Um, he he remixed no, it. He, he was. He, no,
1: they, this is yeah. This is when he re- uh, okay. re-recorded all the music. It wasn't just a remix. Like he redid <laughs> all say. of the music um, when did they I did. He's uh, two years older than us. No, no, no. When they did uh when <laughs> would have been ten. But we did uh, that I select compilation. Yes, and that's right. yeah, and yeah, yeah. that's where he worked with him on one song. And then they and then he's like, actually, let's do a whole thing of that. And it was right around this time. So yeah, hundred percent. All right, well, shall we get to Pablo Picasso? That was Pablo Picasso. Um, this is a one of his Pin Ups too If that ever came out, he was gonna put this on there. It's a cover song by the uh, Modern Lovers. When he
3: would drive down their street in his Eldorado, he could walk down your street and girls could not resist the stare. Pablo Picasso never got called an asshole, not like you.
1: modern lovers was a band uh 70s to to maybe early 80s um headed by jonathan richmond um you guys have any experience with this band
0: no i've heard of them but no
1: no nope. yeah so i um actually want to check them out a little bit more i know jonathan richmond jonathan richmond actually <laughs> but it's a, stupid but i i i explored him because I was in the late 90s a big fan of that movie There's Something About Mary and he is that guy that singer that walks around and into the shots throughout that movie and sings the uh, the theme song and a couple other tracks sure. here and there. I don't, I don't know if I you remember know. that. And and uh, I remember doing a little research and I was like oh this guy's pretty respected and I bought a couple of his solo albums and he was definitely in that like art arty, pop rock um like art pop new york kind of scene uh david burnish and and all that and um you know in fact like brian eno helped uh not only produce their early demos modern lovers but john cale produced their early albums and john cale actually covered this song before modern lovers ever put it out on anything um uh, so it's just interesting. So this is kind of a cover of both Modern Lovers and John Cale, um, who was obviously the, uh, the violinist for Velvet Underground. Um, and Modern Lovers definitely has, from what I've heard, a Velvet Underground-esque kind of sound to them with like a new romantic vocalist, which is what I would probably consider Jonathan Richmond stuff to a certain degree. They're an interesting band and, uh, this song, the original versions, um, you can kind of see what kind of led Bowie to this. Um, song itself is a uh, it's kind of a silly song about uh, Pablo Picasso being a ladies man and having no reason to be. He wasn't an attractive man, he was a short man. Uh, he was only five three, but the girls could not resist his stare. Song's basically like, uh, you know, hey, nobody called Pablo Picasso an asshole, but when I go around chasing girls, I'm a, you know, I'm a douche. You know, what's up with that? It's relatively forgetful, but once again, it's another one where Bo- Bowie's vocal melodies are um, indisputably uh, kind of infectious. And um, if nothing else gets you about the song, you can those will take you for a ride, in my opinion. So, I don't know. What do you guys think about this one?
0: So, for this one, I think um, Bowie is really trying to recapture uh, some of that magic that he did for the cover of the Pixies' "Cactus" on *Ethan*. Um, I think this one has a little bit more uh obviously just slick production um on the face of it the song is extremely catchy uh this is a uh i do like the gusto that bowie is kind of singing um you could definitely tell that they're having a good time both um in the studio and whenever they do pull this one out and play it live um the one thing that kind of does hold me back a little bit it's it's kind of that old rocker kind of trying to still be young and relevant. That's the stuff that um, it can be a little cringy if you can just kind of look past it and be like, okay, you know, Bowie's obviously getting up there in age, but he's still, you know, having fun because you don't really see this balls to the wall type going for it that you do on uh, the next day and Blackstar specifically. I think he's kind of embracing where he is at in his career. Uh, you know, and I think this song.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That that will haunt this album, especially the next but, song. Uh,
0: yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of ironic that you think about it where, you know, he's really trying to embrace, you know, kind of still being this youthful uh, spirit. And then he ends up having a pretty severe heart condition that, you know, Really does wake him up to his mortality, and then takes a huge layoff, uh, and I think it's a ten-year layoff before he comes out with Next Day, and he just he comes back as a different person and a different attitude. Um, so this song I do like, uh, but at the same time I'm also thinking of you know how whenever the Rolling Stones go out and play and they're still trying to you know, really embrace the whole Mick Jagger and kind of persona. I still feel like Bowie's still trying to hang on to that a little bit too hard um, and still be relevant, but at the same time, I'm not trying to be too harsh on it. I, I do enjoy this song because it is a fun song. Um, I, I did, I think, listen to the original modern lovers version. Um, and, uh, it was enjoyable. Uh, I do like kind of the faster pace of this one. Um, it's it's a harmless song. It's but it's not something that I would put on his his must listen to's, If you think about it,
1: no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I do appreciate that he. I never really th- I didn't before I listened. I didn't know that this was a Jonathan Richmond Modern Lover song, and I do appreciate that Bowie liked it enough to, to do a cover of it. I think I didn't it ever really dawned on me that that'd be a, kind of a, a perfect match, but you're right. It, the The song itself was kind of edgy when it came out and, and where Bowie's at on this album, Bowie would get edgy again. like you said, in his career, but on this, what the sounds that he's the paints that he's painting with in this album, don't, don't get to the, don't get there. Anyway. Right. So this is, it does sound, a little, it does sound a little stale by the time you get to verse two.
0: Right. Um I think Stephen uh did step away, so let's go ahead and keep it moving to
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: Never get old.
3: Take care. Think about a bar, better get a room, better take care of me. Again and again. I think about this and I think about personal history.
0: Alright. So that was never get old. Um so the song starts out almost kind of like a latter-day cure song um but then it really starts to open up uh as it kind of progresses um this song obviously is bowie talking about kind of what i was just saying in that last track about really trying to say that he's not some aging old man Well, he is, but he's still going to be kind of young at heart. Uh, As Bowie put it, he said it's about a petulant 56-year-old. Bowie added to The Sun, There's an image of a petulant rock singer sitting in a half-darkened room saying, I'm not going to get old. I thought it was a funny image and I had to write it before someone else my age did. Um, after all this sort of get-off-the-stage-old-man warfare was in great part intra-generational. It was late baby boomers attacking early baby boomers. Today we're a generation of angry old men. Um, so, the song itself, it sounds pretty slick. You've got, uh, you know, some top-notch drumming and guitar playing. Um, but I think it really shines um, in the choruses. Um... I don't mind this song, to be honest with you, even though some of the criticisms I had for Pablo Picasso, um, again, it's just kind of showing you it, the the production value. Um, it's really going for a more kind of accessible sound than I think what we were used to in kind of David Bowie's latter-day career. Right.
1: Yeah, and I think I, I think to your point, the reason why I think this one's a little bit more... Uh, it goes down a little easier. Is he he is kind of mocking your you know, 83 year old Mick Jaggers, <laughs> you know, on stage chasing after ladies, you know, uh, dancing dances they should not be dancing anymore. Um, uh, it's it, it, like he said, he it's a ridiculous idea, but he's gonna own it too. It's like. You know, it's it's uh, verse one is basically saying, you know, I'm I'm getting older, but I refuse to do it. But verse two has great lines like I'm screaming that I'm going to be living till the end of time where it's like the audience is actually forcing these people to live forever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And regardless if they want to or not, like they like they want you to be young forever. And so I like how it switches perspectives in the second verse to be like the audience is the one trapping you in this forever young yeah. situation. It's interesting. Because, song, I right mean,
0: way. you're almost, he's almost like, uh, I hate to say it, but almost turning into the character that Bill Nighy played in love. Actually. Stop
2: right there. <laughs> my actual, uh, note for the song is this is one of my least favorite songs in the album. And it's not because of the, the lyrical content, which you guys are talking about musically to me, this actually I could see Bill Nighy's character in the studio like not counting pointing to the bass player and being like okay all right and they're put there you know and then that, the guitar line comes in there and it's all upbeat and they're all nodding at each other and looking at each other Then they start singing this song sounds so generic to me it sounds like a song you'd see in a rom-com by a ro- an aging rock star yeah I just uh I'm not I'm not <laughs> high on this track. Yeah. Like just, can't you just imagine like that opening drum beat, like the drummer just like nodding his head and looking at the singer. And well, yeah, they're like, yeah you got it. All right, good. Yep. All right. Now give yep. the guitar player some. Yep. Okay. All right. Yeah. You know, it's uh yeah. And it's just, and then, yeah, the lyrical content on top of it. And the, there you go. So, yeah.
1: yeah, I, it's, it's one of those weird, uh, conundrums because lyrically it's kind of mocking that, but it would be something if the music still had some, I don't know, edginess to it or, was in on the joke, but the music, yeah, the music is pretty generic in this and, um, and a lot of songs in this album, which, um, vocally, lyrically, there's a lot of good stuff happening on this album, but the production and kind of what the band's doing just kind of zaps it of, of, of authenticity and character. Unfortunately.
2: One thing I would like to see that I did not watch. Did either of you look up the, uh, the mineral water commercial that this song appeared in?
0: I did not No, I had no idea. I <laughs> did not know.
2: Yes. <laughs> for uh, in France for The Tell, Mineral Water. Uh, Bowie appeared in a commercial directed by uh, Julian Schnabel. And uh he, he's in it he's going from room to room and he's running into various younger Bowie's, the uh you know, Ziggy, ashes to ashes, oh, Tim like Do
1: I have seen that. Okay. Uh, I completely, oh, yeah? completely forgot okay. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That w- that w- that made its way around the internet's at some point in the last few years but yeah that's
0: uh yeah it's for this song
1: okay all right
0: you say it was for a water yeah. commercial like a mineral, a mineral, water, mineral water yeah yeah you know there's a song on here or there's uh on this on this album that is literally called looking for water <laughs>
3: <laughs> i would have been better yeah
0: <laughs> going from room to room looking for water
2: yeah <laughs> Oh. Yeah. No, no, it's another, you know, Bowie writes about time and aging a lot, and this is another one of those. But this is a little bit uh you know, this is this isn't up there with the changes or time or anything. This is a a weird little upbeat number that just sounds really plastic to me.
0: Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, David. True. We're going to move on. It's true. All right. Well, let's go ahead and go into the loneliest
3: guy. Empty smell metal Weeds between buildings Pictures on my hard drive But I'm the luckiest guy Not the loneliest guy
2: loneliest guy is this a cover
1: it's not no that's a bowie original
2: no yeah well i wish it was a cover because this song puts me to sleep and i do not know why it's so long it's how long is this bad boy (laughs) it's only like like four Four minutes minutes long but it's but i hear you though it should be two minutes long if you ask me it did it doesn't have much to say, and it tries to say it for twice as long as it should.
0: This is so, my... this is the one that has a whole lot of atmospherics and uh, has. And, uh, uh... And I, and
2: I, I do like that. No, it has this. It's got the. Mea- it kind of meanders, but it does have some, like, space atmosphere over some Garson pianos. Um, but not enough to hook me. And it sounds like Eric likes I, it more my, than I do.
1: This is my second favorite song on the album. I. Uh, yeah, this is. Shit, guys, am I going to like ours? Like. <laughs> i i i like this i actually like this song a lot Um, it's uh yeah there's there is a lot of atmosphere to it gerson pianos are doing some cool stuff um the lyrics are you know uh painting this picture is it just post 9 11 is it post-apocalyptic you know street damp and warm empty smell metal weeds between buildings pictures on my hard drive um and then like he's a, a you kind of acknowledge the things that you have though i'm not the loneliest guy i'm the luckiest guy um all the pages that have turned all the errors left unlearned just kind of like uh, uh yeah that little bit of uh, of of uh, regret um for the things you you uh kind of haven't gotten to do uh haven't haven't learned from um I, I think his vocals are top-notch in this song. This is one of those examples of just him singing like we haven't heard him sing in a long time. And I like the atmosphere. This is one of the few songs that has personality on this album. It's it's um, It's got production that has layers to it. Uh, I like it a lot. And this is one of the songs on uh, the reality tour that um, they drop down these big roots from the ceiling and he's singing through them and it's... Uh, It's uh, glorious to watch him sing this song. Uh, I like this song a lot. Interesting.
0: I'm I'm a little bit more on Steve's side of things. I think that it may have been a little bit more impactful if it was just a little bit shorter, if it was a transition song. Uh, Apparently, Lou Reed was a big fan of this song as well. Um, But it's no perfect day, if you ask me. And I think, you know if you really are looking for a song that is really trying to be an emotional piece uh, that is driven by piano, that's, that's the song to look to. Um, but I, I mean, his vocal performances is, is good. Um, you know, it, it tends to get a little shaky and I think it's kind of meant to kind of uh, convey the, um, the fragility of the emotions of this particular character that he's uh, portraying. Um, and, uh, yeah, it just, it just kind of washes over me without any sort of, um, okay. Are we kind of done with this set piece? And I mean, minimalism is good. Um, but I just, I kind of like the songs to take you somewhere and this is just, you're living in the atmosphere of it and Bowie's vocal, uh, just kind of that longing vocal. Um, I just, if it, I I felt if it wanted to be a little bit more impactful, it would have been a good song to transition into something that had a little bit more dynamics. Um, But it just, I think it goes a little too long um, for it to not really go anywhere um, musically, I would say.
1: Maybe I'm guilty of judging it based on the rest of this album as opposed to just good Bowie songs because I feel like there's more to this song than, and this song does go more places than most of the songs in this album. Um, I don't know. I just, I just feel like there's more to it than, than, than a lot of, than a lot of this album. So it's just so weirdly.
2: I think. Weirdly... I think it... Go ahead, Steve. Go ahead. I think just everything that they tried to do in this song, they do better on the closing tracks. They just should have just not bothered.
0: (laughs) Uh, You know, the thing is, it's just sandwiched between uh, Never Gets Old, which we talked about in terms of kind of what it conveys and what it looks like. And then right between Looking for Water, which just we'll talk about that in a second. It just seems to be like, how are we sequencing this album here? Like, where are we going with this? You would think that it would start to go into um, kind of an emotional dip um, and then start to bring you back up, but it just brings you back up into <laughs> I'll go ahead and just say the nonsense of looking for water. Um, ah, and right. so, yeah. Uh,
1: um, this, this album is a hodgepodge. There is no, the sequencing of this album is garbage. It's uh, with the exception of the cl- opening and the closer, the rest is just like put it in a bingo ball twirler and spin it around (laughs) and see where everything lands, yeah.
2: you were saying about looking for water
0: so it almost kind of sounds uh it starts out with just the drum pounding and you've got the um the repetitiveness of bowie chanting looking for water um and this song just kind of also feels very just herky-jerky jumbled um not very it doesn't flow for me um i know what's going on here obviously Bowie's talking about uh, a man lost in the desert crawling around in the boiling sun hoping to see palm trees and things like that. Uh, But all he sees is just a bunch of oil derricks and, you know, uh, I can guarantee this is definitely, you know, just really uh, talking about the Gulf uh, situation that was happening in 2003. Um, So, I don't know, it's musically it just it tries to be too little busy um and it just kind of i don't know it gets a little annoying for me uh what did you guys think about it
1: i am weirdly I, i i'm not gonna say i like this song but this is the last song that i find at least a little bit interesting until the closer uh for me like this 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 is the la like the diving board into a drought uh on this album for me um (laughs) nice nice choice of words considering the song
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i disagree with you but interesting
1: yeah i i think the music is is interesting there's there's a little noisy chunkiness to it that i enjoy um you're right the lyrics are repetitive i do like what they're about it's kind of like you're looking for sustenance, but all we have is like the excesses of of modern world, capitalism, all that kind of stuff. It it I do enjoy it. I think musically it does sound more like next day kind of music, uh, which I appreciate, which I, that album has, you know, more character in a single fingernail than this has in the whole on the in the whole album. But um anyways, I, I can get through the song just fine. And then it just, and then it just drops you off into the, into the. Looking,
2: looking but I, it, I do, I, I do like this song. Um, I like the opening. The you know, unlike um, never get old. The opening drum beat to this has a drive to it, and it has that uh, I like, I like the guitar, the guitar lick and the start of it. The, uh,
3: it's
2: yeah. good. It's a little dirty. I think it's a little raw you know, yeah, absolutely. I like that. Um, yeah, you know, Mark, it, it, it is just a analogy to the Middle East and it, there's not a whole lot going on there. There's probably 50 songs written that year, if not more taking the same approach, you know, shit, go back to the, uh, rock the Casbah video. It's the same thing. Um, <laughs> So and, but you know, I, I think it's okay. I, I do like I the looking for water. Uh, I like that delivery. Um uh, <laughs> like I said, he has some weird vocal ticks on this album, so
0: I do one hundred percent agree with Eric's point about it very uh it being very reminiscent of the next day, uh like specifically like Boss of Me and Dancing Dancing Out in Space. Uh two songs that I also was a little bit waffling on. Um but that's that's actually a pretty insightful uh, connection there. And I agree with that.
2: Oh, thank you kindly. I'll speak about, I'll speak about the next day on another song on here until we get there. Let's talk about she'll drive the big
3: car. Beep, beep. Up on Riverside.
2: Drive the Big Car. I actually ended up liking this song a lot more than I remember. I don't even know if I remember this song. But uh, doing the podcast, I ended up... This was one of my top, I don't know, four songs in the album, believe it or not. Uh, I like She'll Drive the Big Car. Eric, can you tell me what the song is even supposed to be about?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, reading the Pushing Ahead of the Dame website, um, it makes a lot of connections to his writing style in this song to Hours," which "Hours" was a collection of, of um, songs like character songs, like songs about people, everyday people kind of thing. This is kind of like that. It's about a, it's about a housewife who, you know, used to be like a hippie free spirit kind of person. And then um, gets locked down in the, uh, in the kind of oppressiveness of, uh, of suburbs. And she like finally loses it and then just runs away, takes the kids and runs away. Um, and uh, she drives off um, uh, while her husband's asleep. And she's, she's escaping. Um, are they running away? Is she driving towards death? You don't know. It's, it's, it's got uh, callbacks to uh, shout just a little bit louder now, but just a little bit angry now. Um, stuff like that in there, which is kind of fun. Um, I enjoyed this song more when I read the lyrics. It does tell a good story. Absolutely. Um, as for, like, I found the music to be kind of forgettable. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's just got a little story to tell here. So there you go. I really I really like uh, the music in this one is not anything to
2: write home about, but it's got two things going for it. I do like just the, the chorus. I like the delivery of the She'll Drive the Big Car. That, that melody works for me. Um, she'll drive the big car. Nothing special, but it works for me. And uh, I like the digital decay effect they kind of put on the harmonica in the beginning. That's kind of fun. Kind of gives me a back a low vibe a little bit. Yeah. Um, more because it's just a harmonica than anything. But
0: Yeah. Uh, what, what do you think, Mark? So I do actually like this track. Um, uh, when I was doing some research and I feel like this is a really good descriptor of what this song sounds like, uh, the track was built like a dollhouse, rooms within rooms, each piece set in place. Got the brisk acoustic guitar work, especially in the verses, and a snaky, twinging figure mixed left in the refrains. Uh, so that was from uh, Pushing Ahead of the Dame. And I feel like, uh, for, for once, it looks like Bowie's not just trying to do just the standard rock of bass drums and uh, guitar you actually are starting to get a little bit more layers in this song. Um, And, you know, I like him when he's kind of a little bit more creative and putting some layers into his songs, uh, kind of what he was essentially known for in his 70s work. Um, Lyrically, it's a fun little, it's an interesting story. I wouldn't say it's a fun story, but it's an interesting story that uh, keeps me engaged all throughout the song. Um, So actually, I I, I give this song probably some really high marks. uh, just for some of the callbacks of, you know, that get a little bit louder now, that shout, and you got a little bit of that kind of doo wop Motown thing going on. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it hangs well. The whole song hangs well together.
2: Were you guys like me? Did you remember the song even existed before you did the podcast again? Nope. Had no, no. idea I ever heard it. <laughs> yeah, same here. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Couple, a couple, a couple of those uh, casualties on this record, um, which I've owned since the day it came out. Literally, I think I bought this the day it came out.
0: Yep. So.
1: Yep. All right. What's next, Eric? oh uh, we got a song called "Days."
3: Hold me tight. Cool going mad, don't know what to do. Do I leave a friend?
2: song i put this song in the same folder that i put a song off of the next day i can't remember the name of it it's a motif i like it's something that mark brought up once this is uh, homer driving on the street in his bed going to going to sleep music and he looks up at the moon and he like winks at the moon that's right it's got <laughs> this is one of those this is one of those songs for me but i i do like those songs sometimes and i also like another thing Maybe it's because I'm the only one of us and probably the only person in our social circle has never been to Hawaii. Um it's kinda got like some like Hawaiian guitar vibes on it that I always like. When they I've never I've never Tom. been
1: thanks to COVID nineteen.
2: <laughs> Thank you, COVID nineteen. Um, and <laughs> you are a
1: couple couple of landlocked sons of bitches. I've never
2: been You know, there. I just I I always gotta if I can keep Eric pulled down here with me, I'm happy. Um No, I do I do like this song. It just I like songs to make me feel like I'm lying on a beach for some reason, which is weird because I'm not a beach guy. I like the ocean, but I don't like the beach. If you can wrap your head around that. And I don't know my initial thoughts to this song is I like it. What do you uh, Mark Branstad?
0: What do you think about the days? So the song you're thinking about is uh, where are we now Uh, off of the next day? Okay. Um, this one has a little bit more energy, I think, behind it. I do like this song as well. It's kind of got a little jaunty acoustic guitar uh, riff in there. Um, It speeds up. Uh, I don't know if it has that synth bass kind of later in the track, Um, but it it definitely makes you kind of move with it. Um, It has a little bit of a robo. About one minute in, it has like
2: a robo beat, like a don't. don't. That's right. That's right. right. I I don't know how else to put it. I don't know what it is, but it is definitely, it's a, there's a robotic beat In
1: the second verse, um, the synthesizer starts mimicking what the piano and drums are doing. And it just kind of like recreates that. It's kind of cool. It's a cool little layer. Mm -hmm. And
2: And also there's a, there's a string section that comes in later. And I think that's why I like this song. And maybe you do Mark, and we'll get to you in a second, Eric is because this song has more going on to it than you'd believe. If you had the patience for it, it turns out to have some depth That's right. to it. It starts out pretty relaxing. It's got a little little robo beat in it, and then they add some strings. I think it's you know nice. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Yep.
1: Eric. Yeah. 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 No. I, I I get it. Um. It's it's got some good energy to it. It's it's kind of like uh, uh almost as as shoegazy as this this album gets. Um. And I like uh you know the song is 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 sweet. It's, it's a regretful song about kind of, um, you know, I don't know if it's about him or how he's felt at times in his life or just about a self-centered prick, but it's like, hold me tight, keep me cool, going mad. Don't know what to do. Do I need a friend? Well, I need one now somebody who's just kind of like used people. And then when they need somebody, they're all alone. Um, all I've done, I've done, I've done for me, all you gave, you gave for free. I gave nothing in return and there's little left of me. Just kind of like uh, when you do everything for yourself, um, and you don't, you know, you're not doing it for other people. You know, suddenly you're you're a wisp of a of a soul, and uh, you wouldn't necessarily know that by the upbeat song. But it's 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 some of his deepest deepest stuff in here uh, lyrically. Um, to that, yeah, I, I feel that lyrically,
2: and the contrast between the lyrics and the upbeatness it could be the sequel to be my wife 30 years later.
1: Right. Yeah. I, um, I actually agree with you guys. Like there, this does actually have some interesting moments of music that happen into it. It's just, um, the, the sheen production, uh, takes some of the weight out of the song. Um, but it's, it's probably, you know, if you looked over the whole album, it's probably a high point. Well, I mean, if you remember,
2: Eric, I mean, these were the uh, these were the heady days of uh, two and a half men. <laughs> and Charlie Sheen could he Charlie Sheen could do whatever he wanted. So he got in the studio and he just produced these records. It's too oh, bad.
1: Boy. He'd have only a few more years left until until <laughs> another round of rock bottoms. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Is he still, still alive? alive? Yeah, he's still, alive. Still oh, yeah he's, still, he's still He's still kicking.
2: Alright, so that's Days And uh, that leads into the next track Which I the, the name of the song is ridiculous Fall Dog Bombs the Moon <laughs> There's all my hands
3: While the dog Fall dog is cool and small Smart Smok time breaks the farm Devil in the marketplace. Devil in your bleeding face. Full dark bumps of moon. What a dumb.
2: bombs the moon i don't know i'm
1: goddamn rich
2: go on uh is fall dog a hero it is uh, what is fall dog bombs the moon? what does no, that even mean eric no
1: it's it's not it's 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 probably about dick cheney it's the the song is basically uh, it's 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 baffling the lyrics are baffling because... are they ta- oh wait hold holy,
2: hold it hold on here yeah yeah is this uh they're gonna blow up the moon <laughs> exactly <laughs> So this is, was this, okay, so no, this this is, this this album really is pinups too, of, guys. It's a cover it's of, it's C.S. 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 exactly, a tit, I didn't mean to step on you, Eric, who's this by?
1: C.S. Lewis. <laughs> C.S. Lewis. <laughs> Woo!
0: Look out Moon, America's gonna get you, gonna go, kaboom, was nice to admit you, cause you don't mess around with God's America.
2: Oh boy, I tell you, you know, when you when you're a poor man's uh you know, uh Hank Williams Jr, you got problems. Anyhow, Eric,
1: carry on. Yeah, it's 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 the verses are, you know, like I'm goddamn rich and exploding man. When I talk in the night there's oil on my hands. What a dog. Like just painting this this cigar chomping um you know, oil executive that's also Playing chess with our wars, so it's clearly about Cheney. But there's always a moron, someone to hate, a corporate tie, a wig, and a date, just a dog. So, like at, at some point, it stops being an indictment of Cheney and more just like, yes, Cheney's awful. Um, there's always, but there's always going to be in this like system, political system we have. There's always going to be we somebody like that. So that's kind of what the song's about, as, as far as I can tell it's kind of conflicted in its, in its themes, but um, it's not just pointing a finger at Cheney, but more like we create those people in the system kind of thing.
0: The song itself though, it sounds like a boring REM song though. Um, It, it it just (laughs) does. It's just, Bowie can't be bothered to have any sort of like uh, emotion into this. It's just, all right, let's, let's get it done folks. Let's just,
1: Leonard Bernstein.
2: It's funny. It's funny you say that because the song really does bore me until I do like the chorus a lot, uh, the song I like. I'm ready to skip it. But the chorus, I like the cadence of the chorus. The fall dog bombs yeah. the moon. Whatever reason that works for me. And yes, it, it, does, it does sound like R.E.M. So.
1: that's the thing about this album is like even the songs that don't have anything going for it musically. Uh, Bowie's singing is top notch on this whole thing, and yeah, you're right. He, he's got these melodies that just hook you, where you're like, okay, I can at least get through it for that.
2: So, yep, that's true. And that's a good point, Eric. I, I do think the highlight of this album is his vocal work.
0: Um. So well, at least he at least he was trying. I mean, in one it, respect, <laughs> this isn't one of the records I would ever like be uh, showing anyone who's never heard of David Bowie before to highlight any of his vocal performances. Um, I mean, he shows up and he does his job uh, very competently, but I, I still am I'm at the the phase where I, you know David Bowie just needed to put out some product at this point. Heathen, I feel, was an absolute right. achievement. Um, and even I would say the next day um, is definitely just a return to kind of Bowie at his core best. Um But this one is just him trying to be somebody else um, in order to make sure that he sells tickets. Um Hey, guys, you remember me? Like, come on out here and we can still have fun.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, we're
2: not. Listening- and, and, to, and to that and to that. I mean, at least he was going for that because I think it led to a sure great did. tour, you know, so at least they pulled, sure they pulled that off. But yeah, the uh, the album that's at the table is just kind of like, uh, ah, it's middling. It's a uh, it's not bad. It's not good. We're not reading it right now, but, you know, where yeah. we're going with this, folks.
1: We're not listening to, to Josh Groban here. It's a package deal, right? You're you can have great vocals, but you got to have interesting music and and that this just album doesn't have a lot of that.
3: And, uh, I haven't
2: thought of Josh Groban in a long time. <laughs> that's a name I haven't heard from
3: in Thanks
0: a long, lot. long time.
2: <laughs> uh, oh man, I cannot wait to see Timothy Oliphant in space in the Star Wars. Oh, that's universe. right.
0: I, Michael Bean is also going to be in that, and you won't be able to tell which is which. <laughs> horse, horse shit.
2: All right.
1: I actually Moving think Mar- the- I think Mark's got a point there, but if but. They're both equally lovable, Mark. Yeah, you're. You'll. You'll see. You'll cover around. Tim,
2: Oliphant, the far superior actor. <laughs> um, and Johnny Ringo. I'm not getting into this right now. <laughs> 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 Try some.
3: Buy some. Not a thing did I see till I called on your love.
2: Eric, because I like you so much, I'm going to let you talk about Ah! this.
1: (laughs) So, this is a cover song. Would have been on Pinups 2. It was originally uh, written by George Harrison. Um, But it it actually appeared on... um, was who was who it Ronnie Ronnie Specter uh, the singer from the Ronettes married to Phil Spector uh, It was on her solo album that's where Bowie heard it and that's the version she, uh, he didn't even know it was a George Harrison song until later um, from uh, that he re- he did recor- record recorded during all things must pass that, that era also co-produced by Phil Spector
3: way back in time.
1: Um and uh you know it's definitely like try some buy some. It's it's slapping some lyrics across your face about uh the material things are are but passing in these in our lives and our souls are what's important. So the song's about. Uh you know, I've listened to both versions of the song, I'm not crazy about either. And then uh Bowie's version is also nothing to write home about. Um there's a little synth going on in the background, um, and uh, I don't know. What do you What do you guys What do you guys think about the song, the the history? What do you guys think about George Harrison's version of it? Anything, anything. I don't have a lot on this. I have like very little notes on this song because, I, uh, sort of, I must have fallen asleep halfway so- through.
0: Uh, apparently, yes, it was written by George Harrison. It was first released in 1971, uh, by Ronnie Spector. She was the former, uh, Ronettes lead singer. Um, Bowie was pretty, um, uh, he, as he was promoting this record, he wanted to actually say, for me, it was a Ronnie Spector song. Um, it never occurred to me that I was actually covering a George Harrison song. It's actually rather fitting and quite lovely that it's an unwitting tribute to George because, you know, George had just passed away from brain cancer um, around this time. Um, I mean, this song for me, uh, I I don't have a much backstory in terms of listening to either George Harrison's original or even uh, Ronnie Spector's version. Um, I can talk about this one, and it sounds like a cheap harpsichord, uh, you know, banging away. Um, it just has some string uh, swells and things like that, but it just kind of, again, it's kind of forgettable. I'll just be honest with you. Um, it's, it's not like on Heathen where, uh, what song did he cover? Oh, I'm thinking of a Neil Young song. That would be, uh, I've been waiting for you.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. that.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, in Bowie's later career where he's pulling out some covers, this is not something that I would be uh, pretty memorable for me, at least.
2: Yeah, I agree with both of you guys. I just uh, doesn't do a lot for me. Uh, it almost sounds... You know, I've been watching... Uh, <laughs> Eric and I have both been watching uh, Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery. <laughs> and... They throw in a lot of uh, the whole late '60s, the Beatles are smoking hookahs, the uh, kind of music, and that's what this this does for me. It sounds like a parody of that genre. Um, not a big fan of it, and uh, I'll be honest with you, I've never listened to. All I've never Most heard Pass. that record
0: either. If all, th- if you can remember that, I mean, it's apparently like one of. Uh just the all time classic records. I know it's supposed to be the one. If you kind of look at the Bowie or uh, the Beatles solo careers, that one ranks at the top, you know, but I've just, it's a two discs, you know, yeah. of course we've all heard, you know, sweet Lord and, you know, and the rest, but, uh,
1: Harry Krishna, Harry, Harry (laughs) Krishna. Yeah.
2: No,
0: you listen
1: when it, when it comes, when it comes to the
2: Beatles solo works, all you need is, uh, the cover of live and let die by guns and roses. And then John Lennon's greatest hits. I can take the rest of it and just take it away from me. I don't got time. I,
1: for it. I have listened to all things must pass. Um, and, you know, musically, I, there is a lot of that interesting stuff going on. You've got your classic pop rock happening, but you've got your sitars and stuff happening in the background. Um, Phil Spector as uh, complete psycho, but his production style was innovative for a reason. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's essentially a religious album. It's 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 Harry Krishna. It's it's burn all of your belongings and and uh, and come to my compound. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> That's what that album's about <laughs> essentially. Yeah, yeah. Well, now I'm interested. Yeah. Um,
2: I had no idea. All right, try some, buy some. That's a we will not buy what we just tried. We will move on to the closing penultimate. Track.
0: Uh, no, we've got, the disc- we've got reality. We've got reality.
2: Um oh yeah no you're you're correct. We're gonna we've got we've got this song where David Bowie tries really hard to, to rock out with reality.
3: Well, the tragic youth was falling down on me. Well, I swear. Yes I swim?
2: got uh, glowing things to say you know
0: all things considered i don't mind this song even though it's an old man shaking his ass um it's starts out pretty strong in the sense of it's uh guitar crazy recording um i believe they pulled this one out pretty regularly in their live performances um bowie was you know throwing that shaking that little ass around um but, you know, it seems to work for me. I don't I don't know. I mean, kind of going through some of the other slogs uh, in kind of the middle part of the record, um, this one kind of wakes me up a little bit. Uh, to Eric's point, again, the sequencing on this whole album is just... I don't know what's going on here. Um, because, you know, you go right into Bring Me the Disco King, a seven-minute song that just, you know... Is uh, opening mic night at the jazz lounge. Um, so this one is let's have a reality show where we're trying to uh, compete against NX in XS. Um, so ah. Ah. it's not bad. It's just you know uh, I I do remember myself giving it a eh, it's not bad. I'll, I'll give it a check mark for it. I'll give it an, an okay. A for effort for at least being something. Interesting and entertaining, Eric. Yeah, and, 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 yeah, yeah no.
1: it's 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 it does rock. It actually is way better live. On the uh, on the album itself, it sounds like if the drummer hit his drums just a little bit harder, he'd rip through the skins. Um, oh. it, it's paper thin, paper thin production, but uh, it's a very meta song on it. Um, with crass lyrics like tragic youth was looking young and sexy tra- tra- tragic youth was wearing tattered black jeans bearing arms and flaunting all her mischief tragic youth was going down on me basically a uh, two sides of reality old man seeking the young but also exploiting it um, and then I do like the lyric I built a wall of sound to separate us I and hid among the junk of wretched highs I sped from planet X, planet X to planet alpha struggling for reality just kind of He's yes, he's making a statement that in the aughts we didn't really know what reality was with internet avatars and reality TV. But he was guilty of it his whole career. He was always hiding behind some sort of mask or character, which I, I appreciate. I you know he's kind of yeah, we love it, but but there was a there was a psychological reason he was doing that too, and he's making that connection. Um, it has got a pep in its step, and it's not boring, but it's it's also not interesting
2: Uh, musically. I think the the production kind of dooms it for me. I like the drive. Um, I like, I like the oomph, but the production makes it sound like an old man trying to rock out. And uh, you're right. The reality, the reality version sounds better. I also think there's a better version of this song (laughs) called "Hello space. Boy." Uh, the riff. Yes. the, The guitar riff is very reminiscent and I think it's, uh, done better there. Um, not bad, but just uh, much like track three kind of gives me vibes of a Love Actually guy. This gives the other side of it. This is a uh, he wants to show everybody he's got an edge again. And. Uh, sometimes you do that and it just doesn't yeah, try a little too hard and it yep. doesn't work out, like Eric said, with the drums. So uh, all of a sudden they're doing they got the same <laughs> anger drums. Those are, that's nobody wants season those. three, folks. <laughs> we'll get into that. No. <laughs> same anger and lulu over the period of 12 podcasts um three songs a podcast uh all right so that gets us to the closing track of which we will talk about the closing track and the remix of uh bring me the disco king
3: Hot cast days that you trailed around Cold, cold nights under chrome and glass Let me down a river of perfume limbs Sent me to the streets with a good time girl Don't let me know where it is Sent me to the streets with a good time.
2: This song is a memorable song to me. I upon buying the album when I got to this closing track, I was like, that's a way to end an album. And I like that song a lot. Then I like the song a lot. Now I forgot it existed for years. And then when I realized it was the closer to this record, I was happy, um, happy to be reacquainted with it. I think it's a great song. Uh, Mark, what do you think about this song? Uh,
0: so I do prefer. The Danny Lohner That's remix that was off of the Underworld soundtrack. Weird, both I do, of you are weird. Because I heard that I heard that song first, and um, it has a lot more atmosphere and drive oh, to it. Yeah. It's got yeah, Bowie and Maynard James Keenan talking to each Manor other. Doesn't even.
1: Oh, it's
2: great. Maynard doesn't even do anything fucking really? good on that song. He does is not memorable.
1: No, he went, what? What? No. Steve, get your head out of the grass. <laughs> First of all, Mark Mark, I'm with I'm with you on that. Like the uh, underworld soundtrack came out um
2: like Let's six see, months Eric, before the celebrate your out. goddamn uh joy of all things underworld. I know you celebrate the entire catalog. No,
3: I, I don't I don't <laughs> like I'm Underworld.
2: I, I want in, my in my Facebook from two thousand and eleven, I still have that declined uh invite you sent me to watch all those goddamn movies in one weekend and wear leather jackets.
1: All right. Listen. Listen to me. I don't even like those movies that like that much. My wife is a huge fan. She, uh, she, um, she won't touch a Marvel movie, but yet the underworld movies are her, are her bread and butter. But I do remember when the underworld soundtrack came out, I was interested in it because Danny Lohner produced the whole thing. And then it had like, it had some like perfect circle and it had that filter side project on it. And it had, like a uh, Pussifier or Pusifier or however you say it. And then it had this okay, song now. and it was, yeah, how much? yeah, whatever. It was fun to hear a Danny Loner produced, you know, Nine Inch Nails, uh, ex bass player, you know, producing a, a like goth rock, uh, album. And I do, I I love it. I'm with you, Mark. Like the Danny Loner produ- produced one is fun. Maynard does not do nothing. he, he sings background stuff and even adds instead of "Bring me the Disco King," he says "Bring me the head of the Disco King." It's great. It's a it's a great remix. I'm a fan. I I, I like it quite a bit. Quite a bit. I'm not gonna say it's before, I'm not gonna say it's better.
2: Before it's we great. get back to both of you being wrong, uh, a very interesting <laughs> uh, soundtrack. I'm looking at the track listing here. Uh, Paige Hamilton was on it. Um, Mila Jonovich and Daniel Leonard did the song together. I'm sure that's a fucking knockout. Um, <laughs> Skinny Puppy is on there. That was right around when Skinny Puppy got back together. Uh, yeah, that's right. Danger Escape Plan has a song on there. It's one off of uh, that great album. Uh, you know that one.
0: Miss yes, Machine? there you go. Miss Machine, I think. What,
2: yeah. what is Renholder?
0: That's Danny Loner spelled backwards.
1: That's Danny Loner's uh, DJ, like, instrumental huh. uh, music product. Weird.
2: He does yeah. a song with the Evanescence Lady, Amy Lee. That's twice in one episode. And uh, the Icarus line's on there. That's weird. Strange. Well, amongst all that, there's a inferior version of this song with noodling, <laughs> noodling nonsense from John Frusciante, and Maynard's not doing much besides just whispering and shit. I don't think it's bad, but I do not think it's it's better at all. No,
1: I'm shocked. I'm thought, shocked. Team, yeah, I thought I thought you were gonna you were gonna say it was a grand slam. I mean, I I really am shocked. I know that. Listen, I think I, half the yeah. time
2: on the podcast, I'm not listening to you talk, but. I feel like you listen to me and I talked a lot on Aladdin, saying how I really liked, and so did you, the, the Garson wandering.
1: And I feel like this has prime Garson wandering on it. That's what I, you know. Oh, I, I, I'm not even going to compare it to the original version. I'm just saying it's a great reimagining, And I was just shocked that you think it's garbage. Bring me the disco
3: king. Bring me the disco king. Bring me the disco king.
2: It says it's not as good.
0: Interesting. So one thing that I do want to discuss about the album version of Bring Me the Disco King. Apparently it was first recorded for Black Tie White Noise in (laughs) ninety-three and again for Earthling in nineteen ninety-seven.
2: I can only imagine what
0: it would
1: find I can't find the tapes of those anywhere, by the way. I can only imagine what it would
2: sound like on either of those, especially black tie white noise. Uh yeah. Is <laughs> our buddy, uh, who, um, who, not, who's that guy that dropped in on the title track off that album? I'll be sure. wonder if he's on it.
0: That, that's right. Uh, Niall Rogers, who produced the track with Bowie, he said that uh, Bowie wrote it as a spoof on the whole disco thing from the seventies, 120 beats per minute. Very funny, but it just sounded too trite. Um, and then in 2003 for this album, they recorded it for the third time and then they released it on reality. And Bowie stripped it down completely and just had Mike Garson playing piano. We did it half the tempo as the original, and now it works brilliant. This poor little Orphan Annie thing seems to have a home now. Um, So the samba and the tango and the jazz rhythms that are on here, I could see why Steve likes that sort of thing. Um, It's just it goes on for I think seven minutes and I'm starting to kind of look at my watch a little bit towards the end. I'm not saying that it's not interesting, but if I wanted to hear this version in a more kind of, I guess, musical style that I feel speaks to me a little bit more, that's where I kind of cue a little closer to the remix. Um, Hmm. It's not ever not interesting. I just think it goes on a little too long. and they couldn't sound completely different from each other. Um, but yeah, that's what I have to say. I, about
1: this uh, I like both a lot. I like Mike Garson's um, jazz uh, Im- imagining of this. The uh, drummer on this is the only song I think he's on on this album. Um, Chamberlain, right? He uh, They just sampled one him doing one little four-beat measure, and they just looped it throughout the whole thing. Um, but I think it's good and I, and I like what it's about. Um, one of my favorite gems from the pushing ahead of the Dame article about this album. Funny little backstory here. Um, so there was a movie called the cubists that never got released. It was, um, produced by Dino De Laurentiis. And at one point, um, Goddard was, uh, French director, uh, Goddard was, was attached to it. But had already left. The movie sank. Um, but it had Robert De Niro in it, Christopher Walken, and David Bowie. And it was a complete disaster, but everybody, Walken is quoted saying, Bowie was the best part about this this aborted project. Um, but apparently Dino uh De Laurentiis would shout, Bring me the disco king, whenever it was Bowie's Bowie's uh turn to be on uh on screen. That was from 1980. Um which I think is a funny, that's probably where he uh, clearly where he got the, uh, the name for the song. Um, That movie would never come to be, but it sounds amazing. (laughs) Absolutely amazing.
2: Um, Dino De Laurentiis was a, a, quite a character.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. And he's produced classic. I mean, some of, some of his movies were, were smash successes like Conan, Mm -hmm. but he's produced a lot of like, over budget bombs like dune and but i but his movies are are such spe- spectacles it's hard not to appreciate that. yeah back before um, you could do whatever I feel back like,
2: before you could do whatever you wanted with the cgi he would try to get some spectacles on the screen yeah. i love that, that that original conan movie you can't beat that movie that's a good one
1: I feel like that's why I like um, John Carter from Mars is it feels like it's a big tribute to De, De Laurentiis. Now you're
2: speaking my language. Uh, no. That's a great film. <laughs> Listeners, if you've never watched John Carter uh, and you have a Disney Plus account, do yourself a favor and watch that fine film.
1: It's a goodie. Uh, I, I, I enjoy it quite a bit. Um, it's, it's definitely songs about kind of like... Uh, you know, somebody um, of some prominence kind of losing their their place. Um, you promised me the ending would be clear. You'd let me know when my time was now. Don't let me know when you're opening the door. Stab me in the dark. Let me disappear. Um, don't let me know we're invisible. It's just kind of like, if I'm fading out, don't tell me about it. I'm going to be the disco king until the bitter, bitter
2: end. I really, I really um, like the delivery of the, you never... Uh, you never told me the ending was near that line. I, I uh, he draws yeah. out some, some words in an interesting way on this track. That's very pretty for lack of a better term.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know about you. I don't know about you. And I, dead or Alive, Bring me the Disco King. It's, it's, it's such an epic, it's an, it's an epic little, uh, closing the book on a, a part of his past. I love killing time in the seventies. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great song. It's a great closer. And um, I love the history of this song. It's just, it's just, he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't quit this song. He had to bring it to light somehow. And he brought it to light in two different ways. And they're both equally great.
2: Listeners, if you can get your hand on the demos of the original versions, we'll, uh, we'll give you nothing and we'll put them on the internet. Thank you.
1: I will PayPal you $8. If you can find it.
2: Jesus, Eric, that's like three weeks pay for you.
1: Oh, Fifal the mouse. <laughs> That's right. Oh, I sold uh, three half smoked cigars on the street corner. Oh, you
2: know, it, it, you you know have to, have to, to pay have, for I'm, this. Now. All those years of dressing like Fifal have paid off for your current financial situation. <laughs> <laughs> You're bust out those hats.
1: <laughs> oh. You saw the outlook of the uh, current uh, (laughs) educational budget from the uh, governor. It does not look good. (laughs) All right, guys. Wow, thanks. Laughing at my misfortune.
3: All right.
2: (laughs) You'll be fine. They're going to send out another check soon, I think. You know, make it last. Stretch it out. That's right. I never uh, never got mine. I never got one. That's fine. Probably. No, uh, Steve, you haven't filed taxes
0: since 2007, <laughs> and you know it.
3: I wouldn't say
2: it's been that long, but uh, me and the IRS, we do talk occasionally about things. Moving on. Those states are fucking sure. They should make it easier. If they made it easier, they would. I'd do it a lot more. Um <laughs> Hey, hearing shout out to H and R Block. Pay them a uh, hundred dollars. The- they do it all for me. Shout them. out to the state of Jefferson. Um.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, uh, uh, all right. Before we go, let's just rate this now. And then go to the bonus material. I sure. will give this a generous 2.5. It's the definitive average Bowie album. It's not bad. It's not good. I'm not saying I'm only going to listen to it when I'm listening to all his albums in a row, like Mark would. But uh, after this, I doubt I'm ever going to listen to it all the way through again. I'll pick a couple tracks <laughs> off it. I'll new killer star, uh, days fall dog goes bomb the moon, the the closing track. You know, I'll put those on occasionally. But it's just, uh, it felt too much like homework, and it, it shouldn't. It should not feel like homework to listen to music and and uh, critique it.
0: I'm right along with you. Two point five, uh, an average record, if. There ever is a definition of a word. Um, Nuclear Star, uh, Pablo Picasso was an interesting cover. Days, she'll drive the big car. Um, those are kind of like some of the more of the highlights for me. Um, but yeah, completely average. Uh, thankfully, we, me and Steven, uh, did get to see, uh, David Bowie on this reality tour and, It was much better than the product that he was promoting. Uh, What do you think, Eric?
1: Yeah, my knee jerk is to do two out of five um, just because uh, uh, even the albums that are technically and critically worse than this may have more personality. There's just, I don't know, just something more interesting to Yeah, You know, fucking say what you
2: will about tonight, but at least it had a Jamaican
1: ethos, you know. That's right. Exactly. (laughs) But. Um, there are, there, there are a few songs that elevate it and his vocal performances and songwriting is, is pretty fantastic. So I'll, I'll just agree with you guys on 2.5. Fantastic. 2.5. Hey Lennox, what did you think about reality? I would, I would probably give reality a
3: two or 2.5 rating. And I think probably. The best song is "Bring Me the Disco King," and the worst song is "Never Get Old."
1: Mm, interesting. You've been hearing me edit, I think. Um, what about the uh, the album is like? What if you were a, a, an avatar and that was your reality? What if you were Steve from Minecraft, and that's what you look like everywhere you went? Hmm? What would that be like?
3: That would be silly.
1: Yeah. All right. Thanks for sharing. Moving on, uh, bonus tracks, Eric. Sure. So there was a Kinks cover, Waterloo Sunset. I adore that cover.
3: It's
2: It's not great. I like the more that it's just the David Bowie singing that song. I mean, who doesn't like Waterloo Sunset? You're an asshole if you don't like the song. Uh, The original song is great. And the idea of David Bowie doing a cover is great. The cover, that's all right. Just like the rest of this album. What do you guys think?
1: Yeah, I think it's a perfect time for him to cover it. His his current studio band or headspace that he was recording in fits the great. Kinks have been in and out of his um, musical affairs uh, since pinups. And, um, I like the little theremin flourishes. Uh, it's fine.
0: Yeah, it's fine. I'm not a huge kinks guy because I just really haven't um, spent a lot of time listening to them. Of course, I know most of their, uh, more well-known songs. I'm more intrigued by the whole Davies, um, relationship, the brother relationship there. Um, so I don't really have a whole lot of backstory when it comes to, you know, Waterloo sunset, but it was fine. Nothing. Yes, the,
2: the original Gallagher
0: brothers. That's true. That's right.
2: All
3: right then, Eric Why?
1: If I could have been on the Buddha of suburbia, it is about that. It's it's feeling trapped and wanting to fly away from suburbia. It's very much like she'll drive a big car. It's from a different perspective. Um, There is a lot of um, uh, imagery. Uh, You know, you've got wife uh, that's bored, maybe drugged. Uh, You have kids uh, skateboarding in the streets. Um, This song is okay. Didn't you say that Carlos Alomar is on this song?
0: Yes, he is. And is this the last time that they collaborated? I mean this could have been it for uh that could have been the the period on the end of that sentence. Um
1: right. You're
0: right. I mean honestly uh this song uh doesn't do much for me like uh it was just kind of there. Um one person said that the main guitar riff seems a bit derived from Devo's Whip It. Um and um, that's, that's all about that. And uh, of course, if you really want to listen to a really good song uh, titled Fly, uh, just go ahead and check out U2 Octune Baby. Um,
1: <laughs> or Sugar Ray, Sugar Ray. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Did you guys know that Carlos Alomar was on two Debbie Gibson albums and one Cyndi Lauper album? Had no idea. Now you know. Good for him. Master Shred- Master Shredder of the 80s. Absolutely fantastic. Queen of all the tarts, Eric.
3: So
1: this would have been interesting if there was a more thematic sequencing to this album. It was meant to be the opening. It's a mostly instrumental opening. Um, there is some lyrics where they're mostly just singing the title of the song. Um, it's It sounds good. It's a, it's a fast-paced instrumental. You know, I love me some instrumental uh, openers to an album. Um, and uh, there's some sleigh bells involved. uh There are some moments where it sounds a little bit like, uh, the Flash Gordon soundtrack. Um, it's kind of fun, but I think they scrapped it when they realized there wasn't really going to be any thread line through the songs and, uh, yeah, they, they kicked it off. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to think about what the album might've been if they, if they planned for a theme a little bit more.
2: You see, you know, you could have had queen of all the tarts and then the end is bring me the head of this or bring me the disco king, you know, uh, they weren't thinking this through uh, it writes itself for god's sakes all right that's right what the hell is the difference between the rebel rebel 2002 re-recording and rebel rebel a Rebel never gets
1: old uh mix well we've t- we've talked about it rebel rebel 2002 was from the charlie's angels soundtrack the thing none of us were fans it's very um, it's very clean cut the song is already a walking through target and shopping uh song and this makes it a little bit even more uh boilerplate um getting right back to that the, getting right uh, back to that that bill nighy vibe right the rebel never gets old is a we've also talked about as a mashup There is the seventh heaven edit which makes it a little bit more of a dance song um but uh it's re- it's really unnecessary and uh and very cheesy unless you guys are fans i
0: am um, not a fan you know me
1: i love a remix no nope. but i cannot i cannot put my stamp on this neither list. of
2: us are fans and you know what we got things to do and people to see what can you tell me about love missile f-111
1: ah yes <laughs> This is a cover of Sick, Sick Spudnik. Let
3: me tell you about my mother. Let me tell, tell you about my mother. Let tell you about my mother.
1: dropped their first album in the mid 80s um they were very much like a slightly more pop rock version of what like the klf or meepie manifesto would do very chop shop version of like uh electronica rock um this song has a great video they all look like cyberpunk uh cyberpunks um the song is their vocals all chopped up over it um, it's got a great energy to it. I actually like the original version. I'm I, I find it pretty fun. Um, it's a little bit rockabilly too. Like they sing it very rockabilly, even though it's since all over the place. Um if you haven't listened to the original, check it out. They never did much, they were kind of a one-hit wonder, but um, they were part of a kind of a big their new beat project that, like I said, Meat Beat Manifesto and other bands like that would uh would master that kind of sound. But um it's fun. Bowie's version. Sounds does sound like uh, Devo, but um, very just simple since doing this loop and then him singing over it. It's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's fine. It's just like why. Song enough to cover it. You can totally see why Bowie loves his old rock and roll, his '50s rock and roll, but with like like uh chopped and screwed cents uh I can see why he liked it. Just his version is, it was the B side to New Killer Star single, and it's unnecessary.
0: That's but, the, you
2: but, know. You guys thank listen- you as always, Eric. That's thrilling. Mark, did you listen
0: to it? I did. I listened to it once. That's all I have to say about it. <laughs> Great. Did you listen to the original? Did you, did you listen to the original? I did though? not. Uh, apparently, that's the one to listen to, though.
1: Go go look up that music video. It's
0: I fun. will. It's fun. We'll do.
1: All right. So
2: uh, Dave Bowie took all these songs from reality. Took a bunch of other, his old songs. Did basically a greatest hits tour in uh, what was that? Two thousand three.
1: Yeah. Four
2: to four. Okay. Yeah. Two thousand three to four. It was a worldwide tour. He went everywhere. Uh, Mark and I saw it. It's one of the greatest shows I saw. I'm speaking for Mark. It was one of the greatest shows he saw too. And uh, we caught it in San Jose. We've talked about it before. We haven't talked about it as much as Eric talks about the goddamn Nine Inch Nails tour he saw with David Bowie. But uh, all right. we were there. And uh, I have the set list here, and I'm not going to go over the whole set list, but I can tell you, they really played some uh, interesting uh, mix of songs. And, uh, they, you know, all the young dudes, China the China Girl, they did that I've Been Waiting for You cover. Uh, the Man Who Sold the World was back in the set list mix then. You know, that was, that was fun to see. Um, Hollow Space Boy a real rock and track that was done. They did a version of under pressure with uh Gail and Dorsey taking the vocals over. And that's just beautiful. Um, uh, five years was part of the encore. You can't beat that. So good stuff. Uh-huh. Eric, you recently, watched the DVD, what do you want to tell us about it?
1: Right. Um, Yeah, it's... Well, really quick. Also, uh, you know, that tour, unfortunately, ended early with the heart attack. Um, But there was other problems, too. Um, Our uh, regular listener, Nick Meyer, sent me a story. He went to Miami. It was his first time seeing David Bowie live. He was so excited, bought tickets, the Stereophonics opened, and then during the wait between bands, it was long. It was like an hour, two hours, but we never came on and they finally canceled it. And what they found out was backstage. One of the stage hands fell off a ladder and died. Oh God. Yeah. Backstage. And, and, and they canceled the whole show. Well, that's, so that was, that, you know, that, that's,
2: that almost is up there with horrible. the, uh, the horrors that Mark and I endured when, uh, Macy Gray was the opener. So what are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyways, uh, But the, but the concert, I mean, the tour is definitely known as being one of his highlights. Um, His band was on fire. Um, And yeah, we, we have the DVD. It's, it's almost three hours of content. Um, I think they're just putting, uh, I don't know if your show was three hours long or if that was the, it was pretty long, but I, yeah, I've looked at, you know, I
2: listened to the, uh, I listened to the album, which mirrors the DVD and it's a, God, it's like three discs, I think. And, um, yeah, you can. It's from a whole bunch of different, you know, one song's from New York, one song right. from Belfast, you know. But I go, what they do a good job yeah. is they show they did some deep cuts on that tour, um, right? Yeah, and, and uh, what are what are some highlights it, that you saw on the DVD?
1: Well, it, it's it's pretty heavy on um, on reality and heathen. Obviously, still riding high on heathen, but because of that, we get an awesome slip away with the uh, video footage of the of the puppets from that show that the, the song references. Um, uh, you get a great 515, The Angels, that song. Awesome. Um, uh, I love uh, Gail and Dorsey doing Under Pressure, uh, doing the Freddie Mercury parts on Under Pressure. They do a great version of that. Um, I actually really don't like uh, the version of Heroes from this era. That's one of the few I, I didn't like. They turn it in kind of like a power pop mm-hmm. song. It just kind of loses some of its epic epicness to it. How would you, how'd um, you feel?
2: Kinda... I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, I'm, that's all I was going to say. How would you feel about that? I I
2: thought the version of um, it's not better, but it's interesting. The reinterpretation of um, Loving the Alien is pretty cool. It's very minimalistic. Oh,
1: God, it's great. Yeah, it's great. It really it's 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 fantastic. It's it shows you what that song wanted to be. It's it's very good. Um I also really liked uh uh Man Who Sold the World was good and uh Let me see here. They also do Sister Midnight.
2: There. They don't do Red Money. Yep. They do the original they Sister do Midnight's Sister Midnight. Midnight. I think that's pretty cool.
1: Fantastic. The live version of Loneliest Guy is great. Um I don't know. I Fantastic, I, I, it's a voyage, cool
2: video. I, Fantastic voyage is on there. That's a great oh, one.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Bowie is <laughs> he's he's got his his sleeveless vest. You know, he's got a vest on or a sleeveless shirt on. He's got his uh, conductor uh, jacket with no sleeves and a, and a tail in the back. He's got his blonde hair. He's energetic. But if he was doing these huge two and a half hour nights, I mean, I guess I can see why he had a heart. <laughs> well,
3: yeah.
1: I mean, he is.
2: Yeah, he's not. He's not. Yeah, Bruce, he is, he's not Bruce Springsteen. So none of us. Right, none of us right. can be. All right, great, fun, yeah. I uh, that's a good live album, and uh, sounds like it's a good DVD too.
0: Well, well, what what a great
2: time! Before we,
0: uh, yeah, there's one thing that I wanted to mention. Did either of you happen to see what could have been Bowie's last song released in 2005?
3: We come to that.
0: for the film stealth the film that had jamie fox in it uh, it was a song called she can do that uh, apparently oh my <laughs> uh, check it out it's horrible um, it's some clang and bang dance track that he had the producer bt and i'm sure that you guys maybe could remember bt um but uh of course it yeah, wound up sure. this song wound up being used in a dance club scene in stealth, whose dramatic purpose is to establish Jamie Foxx as a ladies' man. So that's it. Good to hear.
2: Yeah you know. They kept they kept trying to pull that off and they finally did with Amazing <laughs> Spider Man two in his turn as electro. Yes. Gets me gets me wet just thinking about it. Um, oh God. Whatever, Eric. You're the one that used the fucking phrase snail trail today in a text message. So I don't want to hear about <laughs> it. <laughs> I loathe. I loathe that term. I do not like it.
0: <laughs> oh
2: man.
1: Mission accomplished.
0: All right, Eric. All right. Let's dust all right. off the What's dice. Next? All right. You
1: got your list. Let's just to make it not complicated, whatever I roll, just do the next that we have. We have done seven yet. to go. All right. Uh That's a critical fail.
3: That's a 1.
0: A 1. Okay, no that's fine. If it's a 1, that's young Americans.
2: There we go. We deserve that. After this, that album's not boring. All right. I could talk about, I could talk about that album tomorrow, but we'll talk about it next week.
1: Nice. Sounds good.
2: All right, guys. I'm
1: excited for that one.
2: I actually, on, on Twitter today, I actually said that's an album that I can listen to all the way through every song, never get tired of it. Every song is good. So.
0: There we go. Young
2: Americans. Prophetic.
0: All right, folks. And if you really want to chase young Americans, go ahead and listen to Midnight Vultures by Beck, because those two pair well together, if you ask me. They do
1: chocolate and peanut butter.
0: Anyhow, nicotine and gravy. Keep yourself safe. (laughs) Keep yourself healthy. Hope to see you guys soon one day. And as always, we hope that we brought you closer to Pod. All right don't hang up don't hang up I don't want to
3: change dance dance to the fire
0: <laughs> Quathika, Abimo? Ah. Chilu. Buma? Samzomog Mog. Bungie. Oh, Sagame. <laughs> uh. Brisham. <laughs>
3: oh, <laughs> Slonji. <Yeah>.
0: Wograchop? Uh-huh. <laughs> Warba. Blurna Pafinskuma Uh huh.
3: Seneke Belindy.